for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com One of the most important discussions when talking archery gear and elk hunting is about your hunting setup, your arrow speed, energy, shot location, and penetration. And lately, that has led a lot of people down the road to heavy arrows. Just what is a heavy arrow? What are the pros and cons, your setups, and even some of the misinformation that's out there? Does it even matter with good shot placement? Is there a kind of a basic heavy arrow formula. Joining the Elk Bros crew tonight is our special guest, Mr. Troy Fowler, otherwise known as the Ranch Fairy. Troy brings a special expertise and tons of insight to those questions and much, much more. It's that time of year to talk some gear, y'all. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, we've got the leader of the Venezuelan Mafia in the house tonight from Katy, Texas, Mr. (laughs) Luis Gonzalez. And hiding out somewhere... Right here in the great state, the Lone Star state of Texas is in witness protection. Uh, brother R.C. Knox is in the house. We got the legend with us. And from Cimarron, we've got our elk hunting coaches with us. That's right. We've got the ninja Leroy Chavez and WWJGD. What would Joe Gillia do? He's in the house and joining us at elk camp today. Let's give a warm elk bros welcome to tonight's special guest. As a ranch everything man here in Texas, Troy Fowler has combined his love for hunting, a ranch full of hogs, and a mindset that does not accept failure into the perfect (laughs) testing environment. Tonight, we welcome the ranch fairy himself, Mr. Troy Fowler into Elk Camp. Finally, man. Hello, brother Troy. How you doing, (laughs) man? 
<laughs> so I, under, I understand I've entered a room full of Texas deer feeders and one guy from New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody out on that. Actually, two. actually, actually there's, tonight, three. There's, there's three guys from New Mexico in here. We're outnumbered, uh, brother. And and then the feeder chasers are, are here as well. We had to bring you in to kind of even the odds here. Yeah, yeah right. Okay, good. We try to ask Joe. He's still trying to find one of them pigs. <laughs> That's right. Hey, bud. Welcome. Welcome to uh to our elk camp, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm glad you have me, or at least I'm. We're going to find out. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, there's there's times that I kind of try not to bring guests in before we start recording, and this was one of those times because, like I told you, man, as soon as I put out an email that you were coming, I I, I got an immediate email coming back, man. And Luis was like, "Rich Ferry, Rich Ferry." It's gonna be fun, yeah. yeah thank for you. Sure. <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan, uh, Mr. Have, all of us are big fans, and and you know we're all passionate archery hunters, man. That you know, like any passionate gun hunter, they you know they build uh, hand loads for a reason. You know, yep. uh, it yep. makes everything better. You know, makes you more accurate. You get you done what you want to do at range. You know, whether you're looking for a bullet that's penetrating or expending all its energy in, in the animal, uh, I relate this to something like that, hand-loading rifle bullets, you know. But You've been paying attention. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Good. I most, most people them. don't pay attention. I convinced oh, no, them, I, Troy. I paid, look, brother, I'm going to tell you, there is nobody <laughs> that believed it more in the setup than I, than I have, right? Yeah, says and, the guy. Oh, I just like to get something off the shelf and shoot it. And yeah. then he went Walmart. through the process and he's like, Oh my God. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's, it's eye opening <laughs> definitely, but I, you know, in, in what we learned was why I wasn't far off the process anyway. Right. Uh, in what we learned. And that's why the setup was so, so dadgum gnarly, you know, um, we were killing lots of So what of was animals. the, what was the thing that, so obviously this room's full of people who didn't start shooting the bow last week. <laughs> What's the thing that jumped off the page that, so come, tell me what, what was, you know, you before and mm -hmm. then what's different now? Is uh, it accuracy? Does the arrow behave? Have you shot stuff with it? It works better. What's the thing that you said? That's like a Barnes bullet or whatever. Yeah. No, no doubt. I think the, the penetration thing was what it was all about. Right. Um, I, I've, I mean, I've got a setup that really worked well, even penetrated well, uh, but, I always look to get better. You know, you can't, if you're not looking to get better, you're probably getting worse, you know? So yeah, right. in, in our, in our business and in our, our group, you know, we can't let Luis outdo any of us. Right. So at <laughs> right. the end of the day, you know, not only was there a little pride involved in that, but look, I, I, you know, Luis is one of the most meticulous men. Uh, and I use that term gentleman. I use that uh, term loosely, <laughs> loosely. but <laughs> He's a binary. He's one of the most, yeah. He's one of the most meticulous guys you'll ever meet. And for me, accuracy is everything, right? Where I put my arrow where I want it, generally great things happen, right? And, yeah, that's right. And I'm, I'm a pretty decent archer, right? As far as shooting yep. the bow. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
if I can get something that's even better, I, why not use it? You know, so yeah, right. My, it's kind of like accepting Jesus <laughs> in your life. You know, if you ain't got him, yep. you're in a lot of trouble. But if you, if you got him, you, you know, you got you got the silver bullet. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's right. So what I what I'm gonna do before we start, because man, we're gonna get ready to dive off here when we shouldn't be diving off yet. Because I, what I want to happen, Troy, is I want you to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners that have been following us that might not know Troy Fowler in the ranch fair. Okay. Well, um, I, I was supposed to be in a little hole hiding from everyone with a tinfoil hat and no one was ever supposed to listen to a damn thing I said. And, um, in 2014 or 15, I really fell in love with hunting big feral hogs, which are, if you really try to go for the adult boars, it's a different, it's a completely different game. It's Absolutely. not just shooting pigs to come to the deer. They don't come. They don't, they misbehave. They act very sketchy. They're not easy. And then once you get one in front of you to have the arrow system fail, um, I was 50% at one time. And that's a deer feeder shot. I know the <laughs> distance. I can wait till they get in the right position. There's no, they're not chasing a cow. And you still had 50% failure at that time, right? That's correct. And I just kind of got, I mean, I have guns. Yeah. Right. I yeah. could just shoot them. I have a 44 Magnum lever gun. That's just wonderful for them. Absolutely. And, um, hammer. So I had nowhere else to go because I had everything on earth and <clears throat> all the broadheads, all the arrows and stuff. The only thing, I, only thing I hadn't tried was Dr. Ed Ashby's 12 penetration enhancing factors and said, well, that's, that guy's killing stuff with a longbow that's gigantic including two rhinoceroses. So uh, I'm going to try that. And so I, d I just jumped off the rabbit hole. My first exploration was just to throw a 100-grain brass insert in front of my arrows and go all crazy and shoot a 125-grain broadhead. <laughs> and I started pushing broadheads out the other side of them as opposed to half an arrow, half-ass penetration. They run off and... One of them, they're either dead in 50 yards or they were forever gone. And then I kept pushing and pushing. I learned to sharpen broadheads. I increased my broadhead quality. I learned about arrow flight. I got my arrows flying bear shaft. And now it's just, I, I said this to Aaron Snyder. We're trying to take the variables of things that can happen and take it to one thing. Yeah, mitigate it all. Mm -hmm. That's you. That's right. The Indian. If you screw up the shot or the deer, or the animal moves. Yeah. So two things. But the system can't fail to impact. Right. It can't. And that's where I'm at now. Like I'm going nail guy hunting in a month. And oh, yeah. I'm You'll shooting, get tested there. Yeah, right. I'm shooting 730 at 25%. And they are flying like absolute flying anvils. I mean, they're beautiful. And single bevel and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, that's should, my claim I to should, fame, brother. I, should, I killed I should, a, a nil guy bull with my bow and, uh, that's, you know, I've killed bull elk and other things, but man, shooting a nil guy, I had to set four days on a water hole to even get yeah. that, done, get it. Shoot 710 at 22%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There you go. That's good stuff. So I'll give you an example of failing, but knowing that I didn't fail. So I've been hunting this one pig this year. He's called right turn because his tail went to the, went to the right all the time. I was looking at him on camera and saying, that's the pig I'm after. He's, he was a 250 pound, six and a half foot long critter. He's that's big and square and bumped up. His legs look, 
His legs look like they're about that long. That's a gigantic pig. People don't understand <laughs> yeah, a wild hog to get to 250 pounds. You know, people yeah. say, oh, I killed a 400 pounder. No, you didn't. <clears throat> Well, we killed one, one of the guys on the ranch killed one with a, with a rifle that was 270. That's gigantic. And we have a scale yeah. and this pig's that big or right under it. Anyway, wow. I find, I hunted him like 10 times. I finally get a shot at 17 yards. When I wiggled, he waggled and I shot and I shot three inches behind the crease. He stepped forward as I released the arrow went plumb through him. The broad head was sharp. The system did not fail. And he showed up at another deer feeder two weeks later. He said, the hell with that deer feeder over there. I get shot over there. Wow. I'm not going to play with that crazy son of a bitch. He didn't die. (laughs) Okay, so this is the variable thing. All the variables were reduced to between him moving and me not shooting right. Sure. Everything else worked. Yeah. But we're seeing – I said this in ATA in my speech – it's, it's, it, it really bothers me now to watch white-tailed deer get hit and not have a, an arrow go through them. Oh, they're not, especially white They're not, yeah. they're not that big. They're not, they're right? not that big. And the same guy who will go white-tailed deer hunting and only get half an arrow in him will come march around with you guys in New Mexico. Yeah. And shoot a 700 pound animal with the same arrow system. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's insulting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is for the animal for sure. Well, sure, but <clears throat> I, I guess that's where I went. So when I started just absolutely poleaxing them and blowing just, I mean, now it's just whatever angle. I sound arrogant, but you shoot a single bevel of 700 grains on the pigs and stuff, it kind of doesn't matter. Aim for the heart I and mean, rock and roll. You're going to get them. Yeah, I've seen and done it. It's only, it's it's been reduced to me not doing my job, but the system the arrows don't fly crazy. They don't group that big with broad heads. Um, they don't wiggle a little waggle. They don't make, redirect on impact. They don't go sideways. Mm. They don't do any crazy crap. That, that pig is a great example. It was, I shot, he stepped three inches behind the crease and he shows up later. He still ain't dead. We got pictures of him now. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to call him Lazarus. And <laughs> I'm going to have to kill him anyway. And everything, <laughs> I shot so, below the liver. Gotcha. It was real low. Yeah. So what we what we want to do this evening, bud, is is it's going to be a great evening because this is this is an elk um, podcast. We're going to talk about elk hunting, but I yeah, sure. I want to. I, I, I really wanted to hit a lot of things that um, for the different people who are listening because you're going to have those guys that we've got a traditional guy here. We've got somebody that shoots a light setup. And what I mean by light setup mm-hmm. is a low, lower poundage. You got other people that shoot higher mm-hmm. poundage. Yeah. You have people that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're going to talk about that possibility of doing that budget heavy arrow like that. We're going to get into that even more as we get down there. And, but before we head down into the next part of our show here, I want to make sure we bring this up feeding into it because I've heard talk of the Ashby foundation and, uh, I'd, I'd like for that to be mentioned and get it to do as well so that people can actually look into that themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. We have a website called ashbybowhunting.org. So I was a board member until a couple of years, uh, about a year ago, and I have too much going on mm-hmm. with the ranch ferry and my real life and kids and stuff. So I backed out of the board, but I'm, I'm a, so I'm, I'm as crazy as it sounds, I'm a scientific consultant. Hmm. You know, I have a lab radar and a high speed camera and all that stuff. So Dr. Ed did a 27 year study 
and he studied one thing. What stick will go through everything in the highest percentage chance? That's the simple explanation for the Aspie Foundation. He didn't study bows, but arrows have to fly perfect, right? He didn't talk about bows. He doesn't talk about all the stuff. He studied the stick and the pointy end thing on the end. The ammunition, yep. Right, and it has to, it can't, the first two factors are structural integrity and perfect air flight. It can't break on impact or go sideways. No, there's 12 factors. There's 12 factors. There's 12 factors, right. 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 But those are the first two that are the most difficult. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have forward to center. We have edge bevel. We have angle of attack of the broad head. And then the big debate, the great thing that people can't get over is the 650 grain breaking threshold. So. We'll talk about that too. Yeah. And, and with regards to the Ashby Foundation, uh, Mr. Troy, um, you know, what, what is it doing now and how can people help? So we are a 501c3 and we are not going to take no money from the industry or any industry sponsors. We are currently uh, just about to start testing with a high speed camera some of the things Ed has said. So we're going to shoot through brush with a high speed camera and see what arrows do the best. If you had to do a follow up shot. Okay, let's say you hit one kind of center mast and it doesn't run far and you can get a 50-yard shot and there's a little brush in the way, send it, right? I mean, you're probably Absolutely. better off sending it. Yeah. Yeah. So continued research. find out what happens. It, right. We're going to research that. We're going to research a lot of aeroflight things. And then the first modern compound-based uh, Ashby-style study was done this summer. So Rob Nielsen is the president of the foundation. He went to Africa and shot two Cape Buffalo. One of his arrows was never recovered. It went out the other side. Well, both of them were pass-throughs, Got but buried. one of them went so pass-through so fast that they even the trackers couldn't find it. Find it. And um, and then they took the buffalo and propped it up like Ed did. And it was more of a workflow study. So when we start doing this in volume, like we're, we got a couple of places with a bunch of pigs. We're going to trap them and set them up and shoot them with different platforms. But they shot different broadheads into the Cape Buffalo, into the ribs and stuff. And they had a 80-pound bow, a 70-pound bow. And then his wife, Rhonda, shoots 38 pounds at 25 inches. Yeah. And she's killed six bull nail guy with that. Um, and about, she thinks deer and pigs are kind of funny. She likes yeah. shooting nail guy. And with 750 grain arrows at 20 yards, she was able to five times in a row put broadheads put broadheads all the way to the opposite thoracic wall on the Cape Buffalo. Wow. Five shots back to back to back. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll touch base after, you know, the, the first part of the show. Uh, you weren't here when we had the introductions. Um, you know, Gilbert introduces me always as the leader of the Venezuelan mafia. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Perfect. There is a, there's an, there's another uh, Venezuelan in this group who, thankfully, he's not here tonight. Thank and, you, bro. And, uh, Thank you. I go yeah. to the sunny places in. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm but the leader, man. Even, I'm the leader. Please don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Even though, like, I'm called the leader of the Venezuelan mafia, I'm a good disciple, right? And you can ask Joe. I'm a fast learner. So all I'm asking is, what does a guy like me has to do to become a disciple? You know, in in this research of arrow penetrations and arrow investigations and all this cool research going on, right? Reach out to us when we start to do things. I mean, just reach out to the foundation. Say, hey, I'm willing to jump into the game because we're going to need a six to seven man crew when we start doing this. We're going to have to have a shooter. We're going to have to have. I'm I'm passionate about this, man. But we'll talk about it later. 
I, the, the, Ed says this all the time. I'm friends with Ed Ashby and go out and see him all the time and stuff. And Ed says this all the time. The problem with testing is you do a test and you got 20 more questions. For sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's really fun. I mean, it's really it? fun if you're curious. That's, so, that's, yeah. that's, well, that's really what sparked it, right? It's really what sparked me to do what I'm doing, right? I had a setup working great and then, you know, got with Luis and, you know, just refining that, getting better. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And then, and it's funny to hear you talk about your journey and how you got to where you're at, uh, because it's kind of a similar situation. You know, I started noticing failures on my aero flights, um, right mm-hmm. before elk hunting and yeah. I it freaked out because I didn't know what had changed. And I eventually found out that something had changed on my bow when I was riding the limit on the weight with my bow. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me dive into. So actually, uh, know a gentleman in a bow shop that, uh, Gilbert had introduced me to uh, a while back. And, and he's like, Hey, you got to check out this stuff and this information. So I just kind of went down that rabbit hole Richard. and it started just doing a lot of tests and just modifying and trying different, different arrows, different shafts. And, and look, I mean, I got all these different broadheads, right? And hey, you got a golf that, bag. That's a golf yeah, bag. That's right. That's right. So Everybody it's, uh, likes a golf bag. Now, now so, he's showing off, bro, man. Now he's yeah, like, no, like, man. I just like it. it it's, I, I hear him talk about his, his kind of path and how he ended up there. It's like, man, it's kind of the same way, you know, just understanding did, did you that you have a failure. Of those broadheads he just pulled out, man. Yeah. yeah those yeah. are normal. Yeah. Normal. That's right. man. That's right. That gave me the heebie-jeebies just seeing them things, man. Right. That's why you need to shoot them. I, 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 I if I was a critter and I saw that, I'd just look at it and die. I, I, those are, those are adult broadheads. That's right. That's right. So I think you're going to be able to help us with this next part of the show too that, uh, that we get started. And that's why we wanted to do this at the very beginning here. Joe, you know, before we move on, I know you got some questions from our Elk Bros mailbox and, uh, you wanted to talk about them. Yes, sir. Jim Taylor from Jackson, Mississippi. He says, so glad I found your show. I plan on going on my first archery elk hunt this September in Montana, but I'm still somewhat anxious about the shot placement on such a big animal, especially after you talk about how tough they are. What are the spots you would be looking for in shot placement, and are there shots or shot angles that you wouldn't take? Mr. Taylor, go to our shot placement podcast and check it out because it is the very best I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, you it's, gotta it's, use YouTube to do that. And it, yeah, so you can see actually YouTube. the visualizations and the uh, overlays that, are, yeah, the overlays that Joe, you built know what episode that. that one is, Joe? Uh, not right offhand, man. I don't, I, okay. I don't remember the number of the placement there, but, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, they look it up as the show comment. goes. So I'll, but, I'll bring it up when I find it, but uh, there's going to be every, well, go ahead. Everything dies one third uh, straight up the leg and lower one third. Everything dies. For sure, man. For sure. Right. So you've got to be so, able to get to the vitals. One, one of the things, one of the things no that we profess and the thing that mm-hmm. we educate Troy uh, on our shooters is because there are, you got the golden triangle. There are a lot of lethal shots on, on an elk that somebody can take without, yep. without knowing that person's ability level, their comfort level, level, their gear that they're shooting without knowing any of that. We, we teach that we're going straight up the leg, three inches back, 
depending on angle, quarter, you know, and which type of quarter. But we're looking at that three-inch back area from that, and we want two holes through those lungs. Boom, boom. We do that, and you get two holes, that animal is down in seconds. It's, it's, you've popped the balloon. And, and it's not that taking the shot at that golden triangle is not going to kill that animal, but without, again, knowing your gear, knowing your shot ability, knowing the angles, if we don't get two holes, that animal's going to die. But again, the other thing that we, what we're trying to teach is not necessarily just the two holes, but having the blood trail to be able to recover that animal. And if yeah. you sometimes, some of those guys shoot that, that golden triangle and do not get a pass through that animal dying, it could clip that arrow. It could bleed internally. It could make it tough. They could end up shooting one way down too much, one way to the other side, catching a shoulder. So we go, our, our area that we teach is, that's location so we can get those two holes, get a good tracking job like that. Now, with that set, if that person is a Gilbert Ornelas or a, or a Luis Gonzalez, um, and th- they're shooting that heavy arrow like that, um, you know, man, I, I, I could see where again, that, that lower third that you're talking about or that golden triangle, is not so much of a problem, but again, we don't teach that because we don't know there are two. Right. You don't know, you don't know the shooter, and you're yeah. very likely to have eighty percent of your people shoot four hundred and fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, or even mechanical, and that's even worse. You know, don't we, do that, Mississippi yeah. guy. Don't shoot yeah, that piece we, of crap. Don't shoot. We the try flapper. to tell. We try to tell yeah. our 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 <laughs> listeners, man. If you come into elk country, ah, oh, I've watched it. I've you know been in on the other end of. Guys not putting their hands on the bull because of having Absolutely. that impact failure. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, and and Troy, you said something that uh, resonates with me because I, I've lived through it. You know, through the process, right? So, it, you know, once you have an error like that, that you trust its capabilities, it doesn't matter what's in the way of as far as the parts of the body of the animal. If you just go for that vital area, it will the arrow will get there, right? Mm-hmm. And I've it seen will. it. Yeah. <clears throat> I've seen it. Yeah. So as an example, this, this year's elk, I shot quartering, hard quartering towards and I shot him frontal and it went on the right hand side of the chest. It went in and it came out behind the back shoulder and the mm-hmm. arrow still flew through and buried itself half, halfway into the ground. Right. So yeah. And that's and, another thing we need to discuss for two holes yes. is I'm also a respiratory therapist and I had a cadaver and I learned how to keep people alive with holes in their body. So. Conversely, I also know what happens when you have two holes in your body and you do not want anything in the holes, right? right. You want the arrow to go through, through and in the dirt. You do mm-hmm. not want, it is a physiologic fact in emergency medicine in a penetrating object on an emergency scene. They do not pull the object Absolutely. and put you in, in the, no. uh, right. in the ambulance. They wait till they get where there's this stuff called blood yes. and a surgeon before they pull it. And so, because yeah, you're going to lose a bunch of it when they do. You really want to shoot through them. And then secondarily, I've seen this and I saw this. I'm old enough that I shot 600 grand arrows and 2117s and going 180 feet per second. And we never left arrows and animals when I was a kid. Never. I mean, it happened occasionally, but we, we expected the arrow to just zip through. And then we were pissed because we lost our $14 arrow back then. That was pretty cheap. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, more than that now. They won't. Yeah, right. They won't react as much if you shoot through. Right. I agree. One hundred percent. Case in point, this year my bull shot him at fifty-one, fifty-three yards, I believe, and I mean center punched him behind the crease. Mm-hmm. You know, buried to the flesh, but it did not, it did not go all the way through it. You know, and mm-hmm. as he started running, that arrow was starting to pinch back out, you know, and well, now he didn't go but about 70 yards and he piled up. Well, we watched him fall. Good. Yeah, we watched mm-hmm. him fall, but again, that was not with a heavy arrow setup, right? Yep. So that was another thing that got me to thinking, well, could I punch through him? you know, uh, at 53 yards with a heavier arrow set up. So those are the things that kind of led me down that path with, yep. with Luis and watching him shoot his bull. And uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I, I haven't shot an elk yet. I've been to Africa and I've shot a bunch of big stuff. I just haven't shot an elk. So Ooh, what bothers tough. me when I see video is in the, in the calling situation, your elk do not walk backwards. No, they don't. They're coming toward you. You're going to get a frontal or a quartering on shot because of the situation. They're coming to fight. They're trying, they think something's up there. They're not going to walk in sideways. They're sure as hell not going to turn broadside very often. Well, if un- they think that, unless you on. know what to do with your setup. Yeah. Unless you no, know I know that. that. You're if if you're not hunting solo. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I see the, <laughs> I see a ton of shots that are quartering in on elk. Sure. On video. And, and you know what they do? They gut shoot them and hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, they don't aim, right. aim far enough forward. They can't, no, you can't do it. Yeah. You they don't be... understand, don't understand the angles. And you know, when, when you're asking this question, Jim, about what shot angles that we wouldn't take, you know, you take Luis had an, uh, an animal quartering at him that he, he totally understands the angle. He understands his arrow flight. He understands what he's doing, and he trusts in his comfort zone. Would I tell you to shoot that shot? Heck no, I wouldn't. Because yeah. of just what uh, Troy was talking about. Most people don't know where to shoot that. Try mm-hmm. to shoot it behind the shoulder, and you're not going to get any lung. You're going to gut that animal, you know. Um, and, you know, you really have to take that from between the shoulder to the neck to shoot that shot, but you have to understand where that arrow and what it's going to do. You know, that's like a frontal, a complete frontal that Troy's talking about. There is a devastating, devastating killing shot for somebody that knows what to do with it and is able to send that in the right place through that animal with the right type of arrow. Devastating. Would I tell you to shoot that? Absolutely not. I wouldn't, man. I would tell you to wait for the right opportunity that you're comfortable and you know what your arrow is going to do. And so now you are being effective. You have to stay within you to be effective. So, um, again, like he said, Gilbert said, check out our shot, you know, check out our shot placement uh, and all different angles. Go, you know, purchase our academy, man. It, yes. I mean, our academy for the investment you get in that, uh, what you get out of it would cost you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And at the price it's in right now, man, I fill my truck up for more than what it costs for that academy, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, YouTube video is called where and when to shoot an elk. Where and when yeah, to shoot it out. Absolutely. Shoot yeah. yeah. Where so I and would... when to shoot it Dude, it, it is awesome. Uh, we've literally put elk down in under 20 seconds. I mean, I'm talking dead. Feet up, done. Uh, yeah, that's and, what you want. Absolutely. Watch them blood fall. Blood trailing sucks. Fall. Yeah, oh, man, yeah. I like to watch them fall, you know, I don't and like hear them fall. It's the worst. <laughs> I don't like to do that. I like to uh, just shoot them and don't pick them up. You know, I, I, I hunted... I, 
I hunted with Luis here a few weeks back in, in Oklahoma and we were hunting some big whitetails, you know, on the Red River. And man, we, we had this situation where I drew back on this deer and he got unsteady and kind of quarter ran out a little bit and kind of quartered away. And it's another thing for guys that don't understand. It's really where you want the arrow to come out. You know, you need to look for that angle. It's so important. So, you know, as when I shot, Luis was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> it looked way back, you know. And, and I'm like, no, man, I absolutely smoked that rascal. It came out right behind the shoulder on the other side. I said, when he turned the wheel and run off, <laughs> I could see it. And then we heard the animal crash. But we didn't know exactly which way he had gone. And that arrow went through him so fast, man. And it right. was a heavy, heavy arrow setup. Man, it blew through about the sixth rib back and and went and come right out behind the crease, right? And so I knew he was in a good spot. But again, you know, we had something that skin covered that hole. So you weren't getting a whole bunch of blood because of the the angle of that shot. When it came out, it was still high, right? But we got both lungs. The animal only went about 70 yards, and we ended up recovering it because I got a really good bird dog. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to speak about on blood trails is there's too much. I don't know if it's misinformation or it's probably a combination of misinformation and uh, marketing videos. If I owned a broadhead company, you'd want to see blood impact and try to sell broadheads. I get that. Yeah. But I was on a podcast with a kid at ATA and he was, he's a, he just, he can't get, he's trying to get, he's trying to get out of the mechanical mindset of having this cut that's theoretically nine inches wide or whatever that he's going to get a blood trail. And I said, the next 10 deer you shoot right down impact, how far to blood, write it down on a damn piece of paper because you're going to find out there's no predictability on that. However, if you hit them right and you get aggressive on the shoulder and blow through them, they're going to go less than a hundred. So any dumbass can figure out they ran that direction. You know, it's not like you shoot and close your eyes and go, I wonder where he went. Yeah. Right? We heard him fall. And the advantage with the pigs is you just go down wind and kind of. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I found it. So, uh, we find you a can, lot of them at night. You can do that with elk as well, man. You can smell oh, them. Man, yeah, right. Sure. It's yeah, really sure. not. It's a arrows are very lethal. And people, people don't give them as much credit as they, as they should. And it's just, it, you just have to get aggressive. I've seen arrows pass through where bullets didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Of course. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the tests we're going to do. We're going to get a sandbag and shoot it with a 500 nitro and then we're going to shoot it with an arrow. So we did that test. We used a 44 Magnum, shot it into a five gallon bucket of sand. It did not come out the other side of the bucket of sand. I shot two arrows. It went through two buckets of sand. Right. right? I mean, the you just don't have any hydrostatic shock because they're different killers. That's right. That's right. What's the next question? <laughs> well, that that's that question. We got something else going on now. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Joe. You guys know what time it is. It's shout time out. for the Elk Bro shout outs. Shout if you're new to our show, <laughs> this is just a shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yes, sir. And guess what, y'all? He's back. Oh, gotta be the old Billy Goat. <laughs> yeah, the old Billy Goat's here, man. So for you guys here, uh, it's a shout out and tip from Bob Collins, the old Billy Goat himself. Hey guys, this is the old Billy Goat with another tip for you this week. This week's tip is on gear. 
Wintertime is a great time to buy your gear. First off, it's on sale. But more importantly, is the fact you get to try your gear out in tougher conditions or the same kind of conditions that you're going to meet on the mountain when you're out elk hunting. That's extremely important because if there's flaws or defects or the, the product doesn't live up to your expectations, you've got time to trade in and upgrade it or change it out for what something that will work for you guys. And that's your tip from the old Billy Goat. Stay safe. Hi, <laughs> brother Bob. Bob's back, man. It's good to see him. Hey, so Troy, man, you're our guest. Would you like to give a shout out to your hometown, man? Austin, That'd be Texas, awesome, well, brother. I'm in the Cedar Park, yeah. Cedar Park, it's a, gotcha. It's a, yeah. it's, I have to say it's been a great place. I've been there 20 plus years and raised my kids there and it's good country. I can't yes, complain sir. at all. Awesome. So shout dude. out to that. Chav, you're up. Okay. Uh, this week's top listening city is located on a double curve in the Kentucky River in the central portion of the state. Kentucky's capital city is known for having one of the most beautiful capital buildings in the country. The ornate capital was built in 1906 at a cost of $1.8 million. It has no parking because when it was built, automobiles were believed to be a fad. The city's name is a derivative of the name Frank's Ford. Frontiersman Stephen Frank was killed in an Indian skirmish on this location in Frankfort, Frankfort, Kentucky. Frankfort, Kentucky. Oh, man. Frankfort, wow. Kentucky. You could build, you could build a lot of house in 1906 for 1.8 million. Golly, no doubt. No doubt. That was a lot of cash back then, Joe. You ain't kidding, man. Joe, this next city is located on Lake Michigan's western shore and is a suburb of Milwaukee. Known for its majestic bluffs, stately homes, lush farmlands, and expansive open space. It was originally inhabited by numerous Native American tribes, including the Menomee and the Potawatomi and Saul Indians before being settled in in the 1830s. The name is believed to have come from either the native word Megawan, meaning ladle, or referring to the shape of the river in the area of, or Mekon, meaning meaning feather. Feather. uh, This is in Mequon, Wisconsin. Mequon, Wisconsin. Lake, the so that's, that's right Who's there on the up? western shore of Lake Michigan, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've already I've been there. It's nice. You you have been there? I have. Really? Yeah, our corporate yeah. office. One of our corporate offices is right there. I so that was a strange. Did, did we say the name right? Mequon? Mequon. Yeah. Oh, awesome. There we go. Gil, we, we were wondering if we were going to hit that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't know if it was Mekon or Mequan or. Well, I don't know for a fact that it's Mequan, but I'm going with it. That, 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 all right. Hey, hey that guys, good. if we messed it up, right. y'all, yeah, yeah. guys, if we messed it up, y'all I'm send right. us something okay. to correct hey. us. Hey, it's flowing with the group. It's Mequan now. <laughs> we, all right. Next up, known as the richest hill on earth. Our next stop listening city was originally a gold and silver mining camp and boomed in the 19th and 20th century thanks to copper. It became one of the largest producers of copper in the world. Job opportunities brought in immigrants from Asia and Europe. It is now the largest, it, it now has the largest number of Irish Americans per capita in any city in the United States. If you want to uh, really cool experience, take the underground city tour 
which visits the uh, Rookwood Speakeasy and the 1890 City Cellar Jail in none <laughs> other than Butte, Montana. Butte, Montana. Yeah, Montana in the house. So <clears> I see it from I, the big sky country. That's kind of cool, man, that the the speakeasy <laughs> is that close to the jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they made it Go real good. Huh? So, so both of them both of them were underground. <laughs> Seems like it. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. Absolutely. Chavez. Okay, this top listening, listening city is a suburb, and only 20 miles from Little Rock, Arkansas. In 1862, a typhoid epidemic took the lives of about 1,500 con- Confederate soldiers stationed there. The Camp Nelson Confederate Cemetery, the burial site, is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. In its early days, it served as a refueling station on the Cairo and Fulton Railroad. And nearby is Little Rock Air Force Base, the top employee for the city. And this is in Cabot, Arkansas. Thank you, everybody over there in Cabot, man, for listening. Appreciate you guys, man. We're, we're jumping all over. We got Kentucky, Wisconsin, Montana, Arkansas. And last but not least, this city in the greater Cleveland area is located in northern Ohio next to Beaver Creek. This city was originally named Corners before it was changed to its current name. The city is known as the Sandstone Center of the World, and early settlers of the 1800s used the Sandy Rock for grist mills and sawmills, home to nine sandstone quarries. The largest was the Cleveland Company Quarries, established in 1868. Here's some perspective for you. In 1889, I actually saw this paybook, y'all. Um, a paybook from Herman Beezing showed his weekly pay from working in the quarries to be a whopping six dollars and sixty three cents. He was weekly. able six <laughs> That, my friends, is blue collar right there in Amherst, Ohio. Amherst, Ohio. Wow, everybody's east. Yeah, man. Yeah, one western person, a bunch of east. Y'all are really reaching out. That's good. It's really wild because normally Washington and Oregon, right? Uh, those states show out, man. Yeah, we 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 normally get a pretty peppered audience, to be honest. Um, yeah. Nationally, that's and good then, to hear. Yeah. And then internationally, it's uh, it's pretty interesting too to see the countries that uh, that listen, yeah. right? Yeah, we, we actually yeah. have, we have listens in now 87 different countries. Countries. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. So yeah. That explains the draws. Thanks. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Way well, to I go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, don't think I'm not the one that is, you know, kicked our own selves in the butt for sure. Yeah. I have seven or eight preference points for, uh, mule deer and i was supposed to draw it's a rifle it's rifle one of my friends is a big rifle mule deer guy and so we put in i don't remember where we were going and you know three weeks before the draw they said oh shit everybody's applying so they bumped points up right above so i'm like come on man my wife's tired of me going out west with a bow and arrow she's we're gonna we're suffering some comments you have guns. (laughs) 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 i should have been an automatic draw and it just yeah. walked out of there. So in Colorado or where, brother? Yeah, in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got yeah. news for you, dude. After after when COVID first hit and all of yeah. the meat, all the meat departments went dry, mm-hmm. and people had some extra time to look at where they could find meat, it told. I mm-hmm. mean, it yeah. tripled applications, and I mean, like that. 
So yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's what also is? a function of people having time. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think it's you know not to get off on something maybe crazy, but oh. the hiring thing that's going on right now. I think people got to sit still for once and go, what do I do for a job? Sure. And go looking right, and they all moving around. Mm-hmm. And I think people got to sit and actually study the draws more and made things a little bit more sporty. Oh, absolutely. It'll be fine. Yeah. We didn't we didn't draw last year where we normally. Yeah, used to hunt, and so we decided to go OTC, right, Joe, yep. uh, Colorado? Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what we did. Now, you know, um, I, I just saw, and, and we're coming out two weeks from today, so this will be old news, but uh, for sure, like, in Colorado, um, at the – um, they did their meeting online, and it was decided that they were not going to – um, have archers in Colorado wear orange or pink or punish them for people not following sure. proper protocol, man. I don't so know why they just didn't move the muzzleloader season. Yeah, that's a, that's another conversation, but also, um, unit 80 and 81 did become limited draw units. So. What do y'all th- Hey, what do y'all think about the camera stuff going on? So I, you know, I, I just, yeah, Utah talk just banned it, huh? Yeah, they did. Utah and, and Arizona, I think. Utah, um, Arizona. And now Utah banned it only during from July through, I think it's just yeah, during July, hunting season, and, right? Yeah, the hunting season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they said that they, and there's been a big outcry because it's public and private, but <laughs> yes and no on the private because they said there's no way they can stop people for using game mm-hmm. camps on their property for security reasons. Oh, no, that shouldn't so, be. Yes, it's America. Yeah. It's still America, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so how do you even, how do you even try to enforce something like that? But we use them as a management tool here, Joe. You know, yeah, I, I get that. Man. I get that. And, and I think that's going to be something that's going to be difficult. The, I think the big question is really on public land and there's a lot of mixed feelings. I mean, there, you know, I'm, I'm listening and looking at all the comments and you've got the different people. Now, here's what's critical is. Whatever the opinion is on this as a hunting organization, we in a hunting community, we cannot right. let things we can have these conversations, but we are not, we should not, and we just are not able to afford it dividing us up. We yeah, have right. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, and together when, when we I'm, win, divided we fall. Right. And I'm hearing some guys saying, look, man, it, we're putting the hunt back in hunting. I'm hearing some people say, you know, well, this is something I enjoy. It gets me out of the woods and doing stuff like that. I hear people saying that, well, I don't want to be on camera myself when I'm out there hunting on public land or having all, all of these cameras along next to water or all these up in a tree that kind of, uh, I, I associated that when I heard that it made me think about space trash, you know, how things always end up places yeah. like that. But I'm going to tell you right now, you put a camera in public here, it won't be there when you get back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that was part of the problem too, though, bud, is that it was, it, it, it was, it wasn't so much a wildlife thing. It was a people thing, right? It was uh, causing a lot of issues between people. And, mm-hmm. and it so, was, uh, it was pretty amazing. I was in Arizona in January last year, mm-hmm. coos and mule deer hunting and the, the cameras were, it was uh, amazing. It, I, I wanted to take a bat and just get all, just get some. I mean, there would be ten freaking cameras on the tree. Sure. Or or, or they'd put up poles, you know, um, because there's only so many water holes in so many places. So yeah, I, you would sit in water, people would come in and just check the camera every two oh, hours. Yeah. Somebody's walking in and checking the camera. They can't on be pub- good for the critters on public land. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I would never use it on public land. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I have mixed feelings on it. I've never used one. I've never even owned one, but I know some people again are passionate about it. I think it's just a shame that we always take things a little too far so that, that we do lose some people lose those passions and, you know, so that's uh, that's another conversation. That's another rabbit hole. Yeah, man. Right. But, uh, we'll get back on track. Yeah, the, the ranch took us off the ranchberry dust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what what we're going to do now, so that our our listening audience understands this, is we're going to you know they keep hearing us say heavy arrow, heavy heavy arrow. We're going to find out what is a heavy arrow. We want to talk about some pros, cons. We want to talk about setups and even the misinformation out there because. I just want you to, I want to tell you, Troy, is that you've, you've got a varied group here. You have a varied group, um, as far as the type of equipment they use, the amount of years yep. they've been using it. Um, yep. I, I've, uh, so that, you know, I've been an instinctive shooter my whole life until this last year. Um, I've been taking a journey to show people I can try some things because somebody bought me a bow. Um, I wasn't real happy with these changes I'm trying to make and it's been a struggle for me, but, uh, but I've been making it. And for the first time in my life, I had a dozen arrows that cost an incredible amount that I would have never paid for in my life a couple he years bought, ago. He, don't let right? me lie to you, man. Yeah. He bought so, arrows in a lot of years. Yeah. And, and, and I, and it made, and it made me really have a lot of concerns for people, you know, when we talk about these heavy arrows and, and I sent you a thing on that hope, you know, for us to have that discussion on what these people that don't have these large budgets, how they can meet that need of a heavy arrow. So we're going to get there as well um, with that. That's easy. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. So you're going to have a lot of things here. We're going to play a lot of devil's advocate. We're going to put a lot of things out, and we want to hopefully answer questions out there. So you've got the floor oh. with what a heavy arrow is. Let's talk about those and what some pros and cons, if there are any. Let's talk about those. So most people consider heavy 550 total weight, okay? Um, I've been accused of being the 800-grain arrow guy. Um, don't know where the hell that came from. Although I will tell you, shooting 800 grains does nothing stops those. They, I'm the heaviest I've hunted with is 1,035, and the animals don't stop them. They just... They just go through animals like they're going like 170 feet per second. They just go doom for They just go through them like they're not there. It's fun. So, but so I'm going to ask you this. In right today's there. day and age, 550 is a pretty heavy arrow. So when you talk about, let's even say, let's take that 800 grain arrow that you were talking about. Can anybody's poundage on a bow shoot that? Or do you have to be at a certain poundage to be able to shoot a, a, a an arrow that heavy? No, I had a girl, I got a video just uh, the other day from a girl in Mexico shooting a 30-pound recurve, and she shot a white-tailed deer at 10 yards with 710 grains, and the arrow flight's like, it just goes, I bet the arrow's going 100 feet per second, buried all the way to the fletchings. I don't see that on TV. You've got to remember, too, what we've evolved from is even the Native Americans that were here, they shot cedar shafts with really heavy flint-style type broadheads, and they were very heavy. Uh, So... I mean, a piece of flint weighs a heck of a lot more than a lot of these broadheads that we. That I we think the biggest challenge we have in the community right now is, um, <clears throat> everybody wants everything to work all the time, 
And the biggest everything is distance. For no sure. one's, everybody's trying to shoot further. Right. Um, yeah. When I was talking to Aaron Snyder about this, he said, okay, so if you go elk hunting again, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to shoot 700 probably. I'm going to shoot a three inch long single bevel that's hand sharpened on a strop. It's terrifying 300 grain broadheads, but I'm going to give up 50 yards. Easy. I'm going to, I'm going to trade your, your effective, effective a hammer at close range that one walks and steps on me mm-hmm. and quarters to me. And I can put it on the point of the shoulder and smoke him mm-hmm. rather than lo- trying to launch one and pray to God I get an elk because mm-hmm. delivering an arrow to an elk and getting an arrow through an elk are two, two completely different, different conversations. Oh, that absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so I th- when I go, I, I, my nail guy set up, like I just said, it's 730. Shooting the, the original tough head is three and three and a quarter inches long by an inch and a half, an inch and a quarter wide. You get it. And man. I'm going to give up shooting 50 yards right but if so, i get a if i get the shot i want which is 30 on a six or 700 pound tank i'm gonna have a pretty good chance so when you know, i hear so somebody say heavy arrow chance. when i hear them say that i think about the arrow shaft being very heavy oh no that's <laughs> what heavy they rod head. Yeah, so, no yeah. that's the that's the lightest part of it you know well, so, but that's what but i want for understand before what we go to before we go to FOC, I just want to make a quick comment, uh, because, you know, Troy, some of the stuff that you talk about and obviously that, you know, from Dr. Ashby's, uh, reports and, and 12 factors is, <clears throat> I think he makes a comment on his 12 factors about, um, you shoot the heaviest arrow that you are comfortable with its trajectory, meaning, yep. so the, 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 the paradox, the parable that the arrow makes um, obviously it's going to have a certain drop right at a certain distance. Yep. So yep. you go and feel comfortable to what distance that is for you and then pick up the heaviest setup that you want for that arrow. So the way I see it, and this is me interpreting what I've read from you guys, right? It's like, okay, there's many factors here and it's very dependent on several things, right? Obviously you have to take into consideration your bow, your poundage. I mean, you can't just discard that in order to think yep. of what arrow you're going to be shooting, but also you have to think of the animal that you're going to be shooting and the distance, like you mentioned, that you're comfortable with, right? Because you cannot possibly think that your arrow setup is going to be the same for somebody that shoots a 45-pound bow uh, that is going to be shooting a deer uh, from a tree stand that somebody that is going to be, you know, expecting to shoot an elk at, uh, you know, with, yards. with a 60, 70 pound bow or six seventy pound bow at 50, 60 yards. Right. I mean, so mm-hmm. I think, I think it, it the, the answer is it depends in, in my books, but obviously, you know, all of these things you'll have to take into consideration. I think if you are able to take into consideration, like you're probably going to talk about the 12 factors into any of those setups, into any of those situations, you can come up with customized setups that work for you, but still uh, have most of these factors apply right. and give you a successful setup. Correct. Well, the one thing that needs to be clarified on that, and this is often misunderstood and Ed will tell you this, in, in scientific testing, what is the optimal arrow may not match his statement over the trajectory thing you just brought up. Okay. So in the study, which is 1,035 recorded shots with 113 data points per shot, and this is before Excel. 
<laughs> okay, this is the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Excel wasn't around. You couldn't Google this thing and put a Google sheet up and make it automated. He did this stuff by hand. We've got the books. There's three books that are this thick. We have them of all the data, the original study. Right. right. So <clears throat> the 650 grain threshold or greater, the four to center arrow above 19%, single bevel, sharp, right? All the 12 factors is the ultimate penetrator outside of you wanting to shoot the heaviest arrow for the trajectory for your Correct. Hunting situation. Correct. They're two different things. In the study, that thing did the best. Right. Now, if you're going to go lower to get a trajectory you can accept, got it. Yes. So that's a, that's a common thing that people misunderstand is in the scientific study, that, that arrow worked the best. Yes. And then the in 650. Fact, here's, a, here's a crazy fact about Ed. Uh, there's a picture of him with a, with a buffalo with his longbow. And when he was studying four to center, he got the lightest target shaft he could find on the planet at the time. I think it was six grains per inch or something. He ran his four to center up to 30%, but his arrow mass went down to 655. He was previously shooting like 900. And he shot completely through the biggest buffalo he's ever shot with a lighter, high four to center. Right. Unicorn arrow is what I call it. It's very hard to build. Only the stick bow guys can do it. Yes. So the trajectory thing is funny, and I've actually studied this. So if you look at your sights and you're shooting a 450, 70 grain arrow, which is real common, okay, that's a 300 spine arrow, normal insert, 125 grain point, somewhere in there, 425 to 475. If you'll look at your pin gaps and you've got them out to 80, they open up. They open up as you go Expon- further out. Exponentially. Yeah. Right. You know, does anybody know why that happens? You keep Probably. running out of energy. <laughs> this, this is, this is speed. You, you lose energy. So it's, it's called aerodynamic drag. Sure. It's actually a fact in aerodynamics. And gravity. The eat, the atmosphere <laughs> is sucking the juice out of the thing as it flies. Yeah. yeah. But somewhere around 600, the pin gaps start to stay about the same out to 50, 60 yards. So you're managing the same gap. They'll be yeah. a little bit closer, close up, right? But they yeah. don't open up. One of my yeah. buddies had gigantic gaps out to 80. I mean, it was ridiculous. Shoot 388 grains. And I, because of the momentum, what happens, the mass that you're sending out, right? Right. The momentum overwhelms the drag of the air. Right. And you have a more consistent parabola as opposed to this. I've seen everybody thinks heavy arrows do this. They don't. They don't. A really light arrow goes like this real fast and then goes like that yes. out at distance. Look, just look at your pin setup. Just look at yeah. your pins. And if you have a single pin, well, you need to look at the tapes. But <laughs> a very a, around six hundred is where I first saw this. The parabola is just it just kind of the same. Yeah. So I don't know that the distance management is a factor if it's all if it's a more consistent curve. The arrow kind of does the same thing over distance, and you're kind of managing the same arch, whereas the glider arrow, and I'm going to study this some more, has more at uh, beyond 50 is dropping faster. Yeah. It might it's be more drastic. It might be the same amount of drop because it takes off so damn fast. Yeah. More to come on that. I'm and, studying that with the rocket man. 
And for additional clarity, the, the 650 grain is the threshold for heavy bone. Right, and then above. So 900 is way better than, seven, than 650. Perfect flight, blah, 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 broadhead don't break, sharp, et cetera. It's got to have a lot of factors. But, I mean, when you get over the guys who get serious about this, there's a couple of guys who are not talking, and they don't want to be on social media. They don't want anybody knowing they exist shooting 750 or 800 grain arrows and they're shooting elk and dead in the shoulder and just breaking their ass. Yeah. They are just shooting them right in the golden triangle. And sometimes they hit a little high and it breaks the scapula. Sure. Mm-hmm. They're breaking the scapula and breaking them down like a rifle shot. Yeah. yeah. But they're not going to tell anybody they're doing it because everybody will tell them they're stupid. So they just yeah. keep killing six point bulls. One guy killed a six point bull in one state one day and then six days later killed another and they were both shoulder shot. I mean, one of them collapsed. I, I right did that this year on a whitetail. Uh, my other setup that I was shooting would most of the time, hit, you know, slow way down or if not even not go all the way through, through both scapulas of a whitetail. Right? Mm-hmm. And I shot one this year and uh, I, it was a lot harder. I couldn't even hardly find the arrow. It went through her so hard and so fast. Yeah, right. And it was high yeah, right. too through both yeah. scapulas, you know, mm-hmm. so, but it, it, it actually anchored her like a rifle would hit her, you know? So right. it was so I, I, I call it plan B. Mm-hmm. So I'm not planning for perfect because everything works. Yeah, man. That's it really right. does. I mean, most yeah. things work when you hit like, let's just say right on the crease, broadside, yeah. Yeah. four yeah. inches from the, from the chest. Yeah. Most things work. Yeah. Yeah. But deer move. You're not oh, as man. good as you think you are under stress. No doubt. The wind blows in elk camp and elk, they go uphill and downhill, crazy Ooh. stuff like that. You know, you have to manage the angle. Mm-hmm. You might hit a little high, might hit a little low. And I'm not planning for the being that good. I would just like to have the highest potential. Once again, I said this earlier, Absolutely. reduce the variables yeah. to shot placement failure. You got to shoot one, man, something stupid happens. Or it's bulls chasing a cow, you shoot 50, and right when you shoot, he decides to take off. Okay, we're going to have to live with that. That's never going to stop happening. Yeah. That's so true. when the arrow hits where it's supposed to and it goes in seven seven or ten inches, you should be sad. Yeah. You should be sad. Uh, so so what would you say are the cons of the, of the heavy arrow setup? I, I haven't. I, honestly, that's going to sound arrogant. I haven't found any. So with the proper broadhead on the front. I really haven't found any. The, the biggest complaint that everybody wants to talk about is they think the trajectory is bad. Nobody shot the arrows. They haven't tried it. Or, or speed. Or Look, speed. I, I've shot this arrow that Luis built me. I've shot this arrow out to, out to 75, 80 yards. And there's no difference than shooting my other setup. It actually, yeah. it flies better, you know. It well, you've got weight in the forward. So that's just an aerodynamic thing. So when you put the weight in the forward, the points pull on the shaft. Yeah. And they, they, they stabilize quicker. So, so, so I'll tell you, Con, just looking at what you, at what you showed for a lot of people, what was the cost of that arrow? Oh, I, I, mm, <laughs> for six of them, <laughs> for six of them with the broadhead on here. Yeah. Man, I, I don't remember, Luis, you, what, uh, yeah, I'd say for, for, $150? for six, uh, total, total arrow costs, you no, probably arrow. around, arrow. around 280 per arrow. Per arrow. Uh, so, yeah, divide that to 80. Uh, By six. $17 an arrow. Yeah. 40, like 46, $47 an arrow. Yeah. 
$47 an arrow. Huge cost. How many arrows did you build it? Bullet. He built me six. Six. He built me okay. six. It wasn't $280, though. So the those shafts, those are the series uh, polo shafts, yes. uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Troy. And then awesome we have we have in the hundred grain inserts in there. And then uh well, I take that back. That cost is not that high because you didn't get the iron wheels. You right. got the traditional uh sharpshooter. Yes. But but you're talking thirty thirty some yeah, so you're between thirty to forty five dollars yeah. um an arrow. If, an arrow. Uh, yeah. So but, so but, and, so that we but again but that hold on. But hold on. How many animals have you killed and how many arrows have you lost? But you guys shoot from elevated stands, dude. When you start from the ground, when you start, I got new shooting. I shot two pigs. I shot two pigs this weekend, not even an arrow. So you went 50%. I didn't lose one arrow. I didn't lose it. I lost, I lost an arrow like this. That's the arrow I lost. I didn't lose this one. This is actually the one that killed the hog. So I mean, and I'm gonna tell you straight up, bud. I have never not found one of these arrows, and they've and one of them has killed four pigs. Well, one I get again from elevated stands, though. No, not all the time. Not all the time. But most, but, but but I my the majority when I look at my stats, Joe, the majority of my shots have been from the ground, spot and stock. Yeah, majority of my kills have been from the ground spot and stock. So, so yes, that you don't lose if, everybody if I, that's out here going that I'm done. I'm not you, doing that. Right. I, are I, you worried I, about I losing the arrow? Is that I, what you're worried about? So, no, I'm talking about money, bro. Oh, I'm yeah, talking yeah, right. about money. Well, I can tell you this: I get one shot on a hog with this arrow right here, and I got to go buy another one because it's bent. Right. Okay. That's a Full Metal Jacket. That's a yes. full FMJ, baby. That's the worst arrow on the earth. I <laughs> I've killed I've killed boatloads of animals with it, I know, but they're throwaway. They're throwaway. They're disposable. They're completely disposable. So, so Troy, what what I want to do though for those people out there is is I I I talked about this. this is good stuff. How Troy. can people do this without? I mean, do it in breaking a breaking the bank without yeah. breaking the bank. Okay, so we're going to start at the point. We're going to go the other direction. It doesn't, let's start at the point. Most people, so here's how, this is the progression of archery. We buy ourselves a $1,400 bow because our friends think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, when we could have got away with way We got to get $70 back bars on the thing because our friend has one. We have the them stupid stream. bow stands that everybody's putting on their bows and running around with and standing their bows up while they're glassing and stuff. That's another 40 bucks. So their bows cost, you know, it's $1,900. And then they say, damn, I need ammo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. I get this. Listen, I get this email all the time. I bought a, I bought a brand. I bought a elite flagship. I got all the fancy shit on it. I got matching underwear to the color of the camo. <laughs> I am the man. And I have a Kuyu, and I have a Kuyu beanie. Now I need some ammunition and I really want some cheap sticks. And I think, oh wow. <laughs> I'm going to stay on the arrows though. Okay. I'm going to start at the point. You really need to put money in the points. There's nothing in the arrow from the point to the knock that kills a damn animal except for the broad head. I am a huge proponent of the Magnus stuff. For a great broad head that's reliable, cut on contact, Mike Som is a friend of mine. He backs that stuff up. You yep. can get $40 set for three, shoot Magnus, shoot a stinger. You can shoot four blades. It's fine. Yeah. The, the only thing is – Magnus is not single bevel though. 
No, it's not. No, but I'm we're just no, but they're sharp. My son shoots this thing you know, and step, blows step one. You know, step one for somebody right. who's trying to do a budget bill but Correct. still have an optimized yep. setup. Yep. Okay, agreed. You can get 100 grand inserts from somebody somewhere, and Gold Tip does not does not sponsor me. Sirius does, and gotcha. Sirius has actually the Supernova, which is a really high grade like gold tip kind of carbon, but you could actually, I made this a lot when I was trying to do this. I took 0.006 Beeman ICSs or gold tip hunters. And I got their brass inserts and I bare shaft tune those and they shoot fine. So now we're a hundred dollars in shafts for a dozen. I think I am pricing a long time. Yeah, we got $40 in broadheads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we're at a two, $150 set of bro- arrows with real broadheads on the front. Mm-hmm. Step one, you can do that. That's factory. But they're not single bevel, they're not hand sharpened, they're not the super high end stuff. Right. And you yeah. will be very, much more lethal much than you more. will shooting yeah. an Allen broadhead from the Walmart because you spent $1,900 on a bow mm-hmm. and praying to God that your Carbon Express, which is the second worst error on the planet because your spine charts backwards and yeah, fools everybody. Not that I'm opinionated. <laughs> and Or shooting <clears throat> some mechanical because you don't want to pay mm-hmm. the money. Well, they're yeah. expensive too, though. And they're, yeah. they're really, mechanicals are actually the most expensive broadhead on earth because you'll never get them back. I mean, they break, <laughs> they fold up, they, they, we shot some the other day testing them and every one of them, the, the blades were, were curved mm-hmm. like that after going through, uh, I don't know what kind of wood we were shooting. Mm-hmm. So that is a really good budget build and Beeman and, and Golta don't sponsor me at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just not, my deal anymore, but you could do that for $175 and have pretty damn good ammo. The problem you have is you, will you put the time in to make them fly? Mm-hmm. And I have videos on that. I have a video called the process. And then you go through bear shaft and cut the fletchings off one of them, <laughs> bear shaft them naked arrows. And when they fly pretty damn close to perfect bear shaft, fletchings are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to your I, point, I went through that process with Luis. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, so to, to your point, uh, uh, Troy, you know, you're talking about a budget arrow to get people into understanding heavy arrows a little bit better. And you're yeah. sacrificing some of the 12 factors, which, you know, you can probably walk us through here uh, shortly. And, and, you know, we yep. do have a, a summary written up that, you know, we can use as a guide uh, for the people watching in the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, those 12 factors are in order, uh, order of importance, right? So, yes, um, you know, if, actually, if you, that's sort of, <laughs> sort of, okay. So maybe more to come there, right? So yeah, I'll, I'll explain that. Yeah. But, but the thing is though, you know, at the end of the day, putting the time to build your arrows, um, making sure that they're tuned properly. Uh, if you do the insert tuning, the knock tuning and your you got your arrow flying, the structure of your arrow is, is solid and it's flying properly. I mean, you have right. most of the battle won and, and you can still be on a, on a, on a budget. Now, the arrow, if you the want, arrow I described is about a six factor arrow seven, right? Correct. Correct. Not all correct. 12, but it's correct. getting your, your, I said this at ATA. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to get people to take the next two steps. Yes. So uh, most of the bows these days shoot pretty straight. Hand torque aside, and it's really short bows are annoying. Anything under 30-inch ATA is you're starting to get some hand torquey stuff. But 
the arrows themselves and not messing with them and not trying to figure out why the arrows don't fly is a real problem. And then, but if I can get people to go from whatever the hell arrow I pull off the shelf that my guy told me about to spine up one level, increase your four to center four four percent from 10, 14 or 16, put a cut on contact on the front and it flies and hits the bullseye. I've helped a lot of people. They are, they're going to be more lethal. Yes. And then if you get, then it, we're just like fishermen. I mean, I got 17 bass fishing rods. What the hell do I got two on? My wife points <laughs> right. this out all the time. Right. I got right? 20 of them on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I know what but I'm catching them on. I know why, but yeah. it's, right. uh, if you really spend the time with the arrows, you'll be in a much better position to make a lethal shot because the arrow will go where it's supposed to and then it'll penetrate and won't stop. But that's the, that's the answer to the budget thing. The budget I, I thing had, does exist, and Magnus is a great start. Magnus, well, are great. Troy, what were you like saying that. your FOC number needed to be? Above? So I I prefer people to – my first 19. aha was 16%. Right. Okay. And, and Arrows, for, when for I got people, 16, the people that don't under, FOC <laughs> front of center, right? Yeah, Forward of center, center, right? Right. Yep. Right. So it's a, if you imagine just balancing a stick on your finger yeah. with nothing on it, that's the middle. That's zero FOC. Yeah. There's no forward to center. The, the zero front FOC is would be right here. Right. Mm. right. If, it, if it would balance. And, right. So the number of the amount, where's that, where's yours balance out at? Come on, baby. So he's way forward to center. You're probably at what, 1720 there? Yeah. This is, this is 18. Uh, the other, the, the 710 grain are 22. So this is okay. 650 grains. And the so ones hold he that, me are like 18, I believe. Right. So hold that arrow right about where that point is. And show, get back on camera. Yeah, he's on it. Okay. You're holding the arrow in the front there where you had it? Yeah. Okay. So if you look at the amount of arrow shaft that's from his fingers back to the fletchings, it's longer than the point from his fingers to the point. Correct. Oh, yeah. It's a basic leverage equation. The the fletchings have more leverage and can help steer that thing more than the broadhead. The broadhead also is a wing. If you go back to the middle, like a weather vane, both ends of the arrow have an equivalent amount of leverage. So the arrow can go like this. Yes. The back is no more dominant than the front. I learned that the hard way trying to shoot bear shafts <laughs> with my broadhead. <laughs> yeah, broadheads, bear shafts are real bad. <laughs> it's not good. I, I, I try I to turn around it. I got a friend of mine. The secondary component to that is when you have a very short forward section because the weight's all forward, it's very stiff. Yeah. When it hits something hard, it doesn't bend in the middle. It bends at that, that point his fingers were on, that short spot. Sure. And the shaft goes like this and wiggles and keeps going. It just keeps driving. If it's in the middle, the shaft actually bends. Oh yeah. Like this. We're seeing, we've seen bends as as wide as like four inches, three and a half Mm -hmm. inches. The arrow hits and goes as it's penetrating. Well, it's hitting the side of the critter. So I, I I want people to, I have seen this and I want to understand. I have seen, and I actually had this happen to one of my hunters. I had an elk quartering away, quartering away. Shot went in the pocket, quartering away, right, I mean, right there at the shoulder. 
Arrow mm-hmm. came out all the way in, in a complete different angle on the other side of the animal, missing totally mm-hmm. the lung on the other side. I've actually, yeah. and we've had another where an animal was shot broadside in the pocket and ends up coming out the hip on the other side of the animal. Yeah, so that's a redirect. Yep. That's, so that's the arrow flexing in the middle. It's probably under spine as well. Mm-hmm. So it's very common for people to go want to go fast. They just shoot whatever light arrow. They don't think anything about the spine. So if you shoot I a never 400 did. spine arrow, right? I, if you I, shoot a 400 I, spine arrow with a 70 pound bow, it's fast as hell. It's going like this all the way down the range. Down range. It's yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. It's wiggling like this, and then when it hits, it just bananas. I mean, it literally goes like a metronome because it's so soft. The shaft itself is very soft, and it never stabilizes. So it's flying like this. It's fluttering, and then it hits, and the whole shaft is fluttering. Mm-hmm. When it hits something hard, it exponentially flutters, which makes that arrow bend. It turns. It bites wherever, and then keeps going, right? If it could, now I told Zach Farinball this at the hunting public when he described this. Um, if we could make it go to the front every time, this would be badass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we could make it hit them and go to forward every time towards the front legs, hey, yeah. we'd be the deadliest guys ever. But it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, misinformation, like when you're talking about FOC, what are you saying is the best gain, the, the gain you should have, the, the one, um, point that would probably work for, and, and I say work for everybody, but I know like, you know, there's a lot of variables for that, but especially when we're talking about different game, I want to continue stay, talking about elk. And okay. well, when we're doing that, what should people look for in FOC? 16 to 20% should be your goal. 16 to 20 percent 15 it just depends on remember I, i'm a big arrow flight guy so if if you shoot an arrow that's set 19 percent forward to center and it flies a little sideways but a 17 percent arrow shoots perfect bear shaft you shoot the 17 percent arrow yeah, yeah you don't shoot the bad arrow flight well, vice versa if the heavier forward to center and you don't like the trajectory it flies like a dart open up your pins dummy because yeah, you're he, flying perfect and you know, when, when we went through the process with Luis, we went all the way up to 300 grain inserts and this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. get me to 650, yep. 700 grain. It did not fly as good okay. as the one we've optimized, right? Okay. So that's, the, that's one of the questions I had for you, uh, Troy, because, gotcha. you know, it was, you know, with Gilbert, mm-hmm. it was great to go through the process. Gilbert has incredible form and he mm-hmm. was able to shoot. <laughs> I had him shooting over 60 shots in just one day, uh, going through yeah. this process. And it was uh, an awesome experiment because we tried three different spines out of his bow and, we alternated from 100 grain to 315 grain uh, mm-hmm. field points. And he has, you know, he had a 100, 100 grain insert in there. So <clears throat> as we went through the process, it was super interesting to see that his, his bow and his, his stance really like, like I, I'm shooting everything through paper, right? Kind of anal like mm-hmm. that. And um, so, we saw that everything was grouping on the, it was it the 300 spine Gilbert? 
That's right. Uh, the 300 spine was considerably de- tearing way better than the 250 and the 200, right? And, and Gilbert shoots, you know, 68 pounds. Gilbert is what we, we saw on that helium. And, uh, he's got, uh, 29 and a half, 29 and a half inch, uh, draw length. And so it just, the 300 spine was a no brainer. And then we could see that it really liked from 100 grain broadhead counting that it already had the 100 grain insert. So 200, 200 grain tip weight to the 150, um, grain broadhead or field point. Okay. And so we're like, man, this is like, it just, it just really likes it. So when it, we came to, uh, one fit, 125 with the 100 grain, the, the total arrow weight ended up being right around 550. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yep. it really wasn't far from where he was, but when I'm telling you, he was shooting bullet holes, like perfect bullet holes with mm-hmm. that setup, uh, through yep. paper. And when we did the knock tuning on all his arrows, once I built the arrows before even fletching mm-hmm. them, all of them eventually. I mean, we had to do, we found out through that process that he had to do some modifications on his, on his rest a little bit. But then yeah, after we got that set up, man, everything was just all six arrows, perfect bullet holes through papers. The, right. the, the graphs that we're seeing here is showing kind of like, you know, to your point, right? We increased the weight of that, uh, arrow by about 50, um, six grains. Okay. Mm-hmm. From where he had it before, you know, so mm-hmm. it was, he was shooting pretty close to what his bow liked to begin with. Um, so that was an 11% increase in weight and really it only dropped 2% in speed, meaning he was shooting 264 out of the bow mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. he was shooting 258. So negligible speed drop and, but right. he, but he gained 6% in kinetic energy, which I know not to the point. We don't need to worry about it, <laughs> but I, right. I wanted to reflect it. And he gained 9% in momentum just yep. by increasing 56 grains on his arrow and barely and losing he has, any speed. And he has really perfect arrow flight, right? Yes, so you don't, yes and he has perfect arrow flight. That's so, the thing that doesn't, that doesn't show. These are, these are charts I'm used to doing myself. Y'all really did a lot of work. This is impressive. No, nobody does this. This is the kind of work you have to put in. I'm telling you, brother, you got the leader of the Venezuelan mafia here, man. He's the real deal. I I love this stuff, right? And so, yeah, and that, that was my question to you, right? In this case, you know, Beto's bow yielded a 551 grain arrow, right? That is flying perfectly. Now we're not at the heavy bone threshold of 650, but in my mind, it's like, why am, why am I going to try to square uh, a round peg into a square hole or vice versa when everything is, the whole process is telling me this is what's optimized for his setup. Right. Right. So is that the proper way to go about it, Troy? Is that Mm -hmm. the proper way to go about it in doing the the process? Gotcha. Right. And then, so there's, I don't know if I'll ever publish this on my YouTube channel because I already get a thousand messages a month that would get, oh, but you can take the 250 spine arrows and then you can, you can actually fiddle with the length. Yes. And you can start messing, getting super pointy hat. Let's have yes. the trad guys do it. A, a proper trad. I don't know what the trad guy in our room here does, but a proper trad guy 
puts a shaft, a full length arrow on his bow, bear shaft, and starts cutting it down until it shoots straight. That's proper. And, and, and with regards to his setup, the the broadhead is 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 very clearing his hands. So I mean, we got it to where we said, "Hey, you, let's cut it to make sure that that broadhead is not getting in the way of your hands." Right. Right. So, so you can take the two fifties, get another two fifty spine, make it longer, longer for the heavier, yes. and start working back again. That's a super pointy hat strategy. Gotcha. But, and, and, and the you. other you thing is his FOC optimize it. Right. Yeah, his FOC went up to seven exactly seventeen percent. Right, that's the number. I mean you now in the study, nineteen percent FOC, which also correlates right. to about a six hundred and some odd plus grand yeah. arrow yeah. to get there, was the was the spot where the bones really started right. showing a difference. I blew through said, a hog the, a couple of weeks ago, blew through both plates. Right. Yep. And pinned him to the ground and it yep. went through both of them. Right. And pinned him yep. to the ground is about an 85 pound hog. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's not one of them 250 pounders, but I'm going to tell you right now, man, you ain't sticking a knife through that big plate. Right. So no, they're blew, pretty tough. They're durable animals. This it blew him down testing. like you'd have shot him with a 30 off six. Like, bow. Was over, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's really, really fun. It's a completely different experience when the arrows are flying right. Really is, and everything's good. But I shot one this weekend. I shot him through the knuckle right here at the knuckle, yep. right, both yep. knuckles, and it it did not get a full pass through. It was sticking out a little bit, and when he fell over, he broke my daggum arrow. And, uh, mm-hmm. really aggravated me then, cause that's the only <laughs> arrow, that's the only arrow that he broke, but man, it went through heavy bone on both sides and busted him up. He didn't go but about 60 yards. But and look, Joe, I know, I know that, that you want to concentrate it on elk, but I think yes. that one of the cool things about, you know, m- at least in my journey, my experiences with hogs no, I have, think it's a great have led me to, Absolutely. Yeah. Had led me to, you know, realize all, you know, get to this realizations and, you know, listening to Absolutely. guys like uh, Mr. Troy is, is really all in preparation of how do I set myself up better for my oh, elephant, right? Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, you, you're, you have a target rich environment there in Texas with something that you love to eat. And, uh, and man, I mean, you're not going to find anything tougher. You know, and because in order to kill that pig, it's built differently than an elk. All those vitals are up right in there, up high, close in there. So, I mean, if you're going to put one of those down quick, you've got to have something that's going to punch right through that critter. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. 
our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. I get that. I totally get that. It's just, uh, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have old school farts like me. You know, I've killed 36 elk being underspined most of my life uh when everybody else was going to when everybody else was going to 100 green you know uh uh broadheads and going light setup so that they could go fast i never worried about that i was at 270 feet per second i was fine i was going to stay with 125 green broadhead on there because i believed that was going to smack things and i'm no scientist but i did it that way where you know you were with me Luis. i shoot an animal I know I'm only 15, 18 yards. I shoot an elk, go through on the onside, arrow goes all the way through, hits the leg bone on the other side, and shatters it, explodes it on the other side with a mm-hmm. with a with a three blade wasp chisel tip on it. That was yeah, the second right? shot. Yeah, yeah, that that that's was a, the first shot. That's a that's a great broad <laughs> look. That's a great broadhead. I'm telling you, they're tough and they they open up a big wound channel. Uh, you know. That's something to be said for that. But, I, my son well, what, shoot I, when I he think, was ten. He shot. He shot that. Uh, the what you were talking about, Troy, the Magnus Stinger, and he's shooting maybe thirty five, thirty eight pounds. But he was blowing through whitetails and pigs well, with that. But but Troy said it earlier. It, when you shoot, you know. And in fact, I, I think I have this in here. Can shot selection, location of a hit, mitigate? Some of these 12 factors, in other words, that you're having to look, and, and you said it earlier, a perfect shot in the right yeah. spot is going to blow. I mean, yeah. every time. Yeah. Right. So it, it's going to get his job done. It's when we, when we're but, looking to have a little that very well that he is working towards imperfection, you know, sure. with, if yeah. there's yeah. a mistake that happens on that. So and on, on bones. So on, on your example on bone, on a, on an exiting, when it's pushing out on the bone, it's, it has actually more likely to break the bone because the then, bone is flexing on away the from the side. animal as opposed to the on the impact side, right? So that's a really oh. common thing, and oh. and Ed will tell you himself. Sometimes arrows break bones that aren't supposed to break bones. It happens. They hit the right spot. There's a there. It's whatever situation it is. I have a lot of people send me pictures and say, "I'm shooting 425 grains. Look at this scapula, right? I blew right through it. It happens. It does." It, right. it does. There's, I can't deny that it does happen. I did it when I did it, my, you know, when I was shooting live stuff myself, but 
the, it's just a percentage game, right? That's yeah, the deal. It's like which highest percentage of going to happen. And 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 that's which the thing that I want to do is I, I want to make sure that that point is made that what this system is working towards is those things that your imperfections, either from the shooter or from that animal moving that causes something that could end up causing it to be a marginal shot is going to have more effectiveness on those types of situations. And I hope everybody got some wow factor out of the spreadsheet y'all just saw and the amount of effort these guys put into making sure that arrow is flying. Absolutely. And so that that was the big thing for me is I got buddies of mine tell me all the time, does your back end of your arrow kick out? I'm like, Bro, you're losing all of your momentum, all of your momentum because it's not hitting with the right type of force. So a lot of that for me was I didn't have that going on, but I got friends of mine that have Luis and Manano both have went through that with their shaft, you know, kicking out or something like that. So going through this process for me was all about number one, getting a better ammunition that's going to penetrate better if I do make uh, a mistake or the animal moves or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. and, and having better ammunition at the end of the day, right? Okay. And then having a better yep. shaft that's yep. going to fly better, you know? And, yeah, right. and one so of the, one one thing that's interesting the, about the full metal jackets are pretty well disposable because they're going to bend when they hit something hard, you know? So, so I wanted the to one try thing about the flight easy. thing is, um, you can really, really just help your overall accuracy. That's glaringly obvious. But if you, I challenge everybody shooting their bow right now who hasn't ever bear shafted, just cut the fletches off one. And if it tears five inches right shooting through paper, but you were shooting bullet holes with a fletched arrow, do know this. The arrow is still flying sideways and the arrows are compensating yes. for it. So you're losing speed. And you're losing efficiency right off the bow because the arrows are lying, the fletchings are lying to you. And the cleaner you can make that arrow fly bear shaft, the more mistakes you can make. And I got, I got a question for you. Downhill or kneel or whatever. I got a a bit of a technical question for you on that. But before that, Mm -hmm. I want to explain something. So precisely what you're talking about, Joe, is that when you look at, at this room, Mr. Troy, all of these guys are extremely uh, experienced bow hunters, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm the youngster, uh, the one, the green, the green hat uh, on this group, and and trying to learn, right? So, but I got on, a little on, bit of an engineering in on the hunting side of an animal, not on yeah. the equipment. So, right, yeah. right, but 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 that's that's where I'm going, right? So, I got a little bit of an engineering mindset to where I realized, okay, so how do I reduce the the potential mistakes that can occur uh, for me in a mountain. So there's something that I cannot control that is my lack of experience yet compared to these guys. But there are things that I can do and that are under my control that I can make to improve my shooting, my accuracy, and what are those things. So the the failures that I was having with regards to the aeroflight led me down this path. And... <clears throat> And that's the reason why I started to look into this because see, I'm not Joe that instinctively draws his bow 
with that looks like a recurve and it's, it's, it has pulleys, but looks like a recurve and it's probably a hundred pounds when you pull it. And <laughs> right. And he shoots, he blows through an elk and you know, he, they don't go far and they drop in the spot. He knows exactly where to put it. He's got this instinctive mind. I'm, I, I don't have that. Right. So right. what can I do to compensate for all of those mistakes that I was going to do? So that's, that's why Joe, like, you know, right. there's, there's that difference. You know, you, I had to compensate in right. one way or another. Um, going through the process, there are a couple of things that, you know, I, I've, I've obviously, you can tell that I watched a lot of your videos and, you know, learn a lot from you and, and I appreciate it. Huge fan, tons of respect. Thank you. Um, one of the things I, I kind of did was I realized that if I'm going to be testing different spines, um, I want to make sure those shafts are also noctune because for some reason what I'm seeing on my end is that noctuning could potentially have more of an impact on paper tear than maybe some of the other factors. So in my own mind, I'm thinking if I really want a, a good comparison between different spines, I want those three spines that I'm testing properly noctune. Does that make yeah, sense sure. or am I going too far? No, you're if if they will not do so if you shoot a 400 spine arrow it's probably gonna be a banana it's never gonna right never but gonna you're looking it. for improvement right so the best the right. best knock point for each shaft before you start yeah. testing right so for everybody who wonders what we're talking about knock tuning is the process of actually rotating the knock in the back of the shaft the the shafts uh, the carbon arrows all have a spine they have a stiff side they have a seam and you're trying to rotate the knock and make find the spot where that sh particular shaft bends perfectly for you shooting the bow. Right. And I've bow, tested yeah. this. So my son, my son Caleb, and my nephew Charlie all are a 28 and a half inch draw. They cannot shoot my bow bear shaft. <laughs> we did. I Gilbert, did that. <laughs> Gilbert and I proved it, and and we tried same bows, same arrows, same bows. Uh, different, different arrows, arrows, same arrows, different bows. Every time yeah. it was different. Yeah. So the he bow, could not the shoot shooter, the, you know, the, the ape hanging onto the damn arrow onto the bow makes a big difference. How you release, where you push, all that. You're really customizing this arrow flight for exactly you and the way you do stuff. That's what I discovered when I started doing this is because I handed my bow to my son and then I had this bow that I couldn't shoot. It was a torque sensitive hellion from, you know, it was the worst for me. Right. And however Caleb grips it, it's just, boom, boom, boom. He's like, I love this thing. I grab it. <laughs> Arrows are flying sideways and ripping the paper and, you know, shooting back at me. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah. I shoot a six or seven year old bow because I absolutely enjoy shooting it. You Do know? not give up a helium or a switchback ever. Agreed. Great. Never give up a helium or a switchback. If you have one and you're going to give it up, call me. Please, yeah, yeah, yeah we're we're on the same boat. We're fans of the heliums. Um, oh, so the, nice that's a perfect stumpy. that's a perfect set way for the next question I have, which you know because I never practice with my field points. Um, yep. I you know once I went through the process, my my bear shafts are shooting perfect bullet holes through paper. I you know. I, I have already done the, the insert tuning, so I just screw on my broadheads and I fletch. Mm -hmm. I go yep. to the range and shoot, 
my arrows are applying perfect. I, I, no problems, right? But the other day I heard a term is like broadhead tuning. Okay. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, what, what the heck are they talking about with broadhead tuning? So what they do is they, I guess, I'm sure you're familiar with it. You know, you shoot your field point and then you shoot your broadheads and then you see where those broadheads land in relation to your field point. So apparently, you know, obviously there's differences of where that lands and what you need to tweak on your bow to make sure that, you know, the, your field points are flying true, just like your broadheads. So I went mm-hmm. out there and I, you know, that was this week and I'm like, okay, what is this all about? So I put my field point on, boom, bullet hole, or I'm sorry, you know, just 10 ring, right? And then I go back and screw my broadhead, boom, 10 ring with one bow. Then I picked up my other bow, did the exact same thing, same thing. So, I didn't have that problem. So my question is, is is going through the process going to eliminate the issue of having to broadhead tune? Yeah, or is there something to broadhead tuning to where even if you change broadheads, even if they're the same weight, uh, you still have to check on broadhead tuning to make sure? No, I shot, I shoot everything. So I shoot. That, that's three blades, two blades, four blades. Um, they all fly true. I even, shoot, I even change the weight some, and they don't really get crazy. But the arrows are bare shaft, knock tuned, uh, yeah. perfect. I can yeah. shoot all the of these broadheads there. I can shoot all of these broadheads, and yeah. they will all shoot the same. That's because you've built really good ammunition. Like you really been, you built good sticks. Okay, so, and I just that was the question. It's just a clarification of, and, and then if I, if I shoot a field point, it will fly the same as all of these as well. So right. that was just the question. Is like, man, is there something to the way the broadhead is shaped that will affect the noctuning? So the only thing that I've seen on broadhead shape that causes anything is three-blade machine broadheads seem to drag a little more than everything else. I shot it through a labradar and they do, they do drag a little more. You can just, it's, it's two inches at 50 yards. It's not a foot, right? It's just a right, problem. Right. They're just the way they're shaped. But, um, I found that machine free blade broadheads through a labradar do slow down some just because they're aerodynamically, but they're really good design. Machined, I mean, so that, machine three blade. And, and that's like, uh, you, you know, Luis says all he ever shoots is his broadheads. I've never shot broadheads. I've always shot field point. Well, and then I'll tell you why is because my original way that I would do it, uh, the way I worked this was I would take the blades out of my wasp broadhead and I would shoot my wasp broadhead tip as a field point. And then I would do that as well with, and I had no difference between that and my field point. And so once I realized that in my shooting through all of these years that I did it, there was no reason for me to shoot my broadheads. I was hitting exactly where I was looking on both of well, them. Well, so. if it's working for you, I can't tell you not to do it because you kill a hell of a lot of elk. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aerodynamically speaking, from an aerodynamic engineering perspective, you're putting a wing on the front. Sure, absolutely. And everybody on earth, everybody on earth should practice with light. If you shoot a lighted knock, you should shoot a lighted knock and a broadhead. Mm-hmm. And make sure that that's going to fly. Mm-hmm. And because you know, I think I think early on, I'll give, you, I did. I'll give you an example, a practical example from me, from me messing around. So I was trying to maximize my four to center and get it up. I'm I'm shooting 25, percent but I have an outrageously heavy arrow right now. And so I went down 
from a 250 spine to a 300 spine. And I got bullet holes with field points. And I said, it was a new carbon shaft that was a micro, super light. And I went down in spine, praying to God it would fly. I got bullet holes with field points. It was like 575 grains, but it was like 23% forward center. It was a almost a unicorn arrow for its weight. And when I put broadheads on it, they shot about like that at 40. And it was weird. They were just kind of, they would just kind of go like that. It wasn't, it wasn't doing loops or it wasn't taking off or there wasn't a flyer. There wasn't a six inch flyer. They were just weird. And I grabbed a 250 same shaft. Put you, I mean, I couldn't shoot them at the same spot. So that shaft was just on spine at being just a little too almost right. And it was a little too soft. And so I ended up put the extra drag on the front yep. from the broadhead. It was just that like that. It was just, and you could tell it was, wasn't me. You know, you know, when you pull one, you know, when you jerk the release or whatever, you, got you feel it. Yeah. All right. But I would shoot and I would just go, that just was weird. Mm-hmm. And I did and it like five times and I grabbed bit. a 250 and it went right down. <laughs> right down the middle. Okay. Yeah. And so that's right on spine. So you really, really have, you really should shoot broadheads. Now in Texas where we're shooting 20 yards and stuff, I don't know that this is as, as critical. Sure. It's to be serious. It's so close and it's kind of a setup deal. But if you're elk hunting where 40s normal yeah. and 50s really logical. Yeah. Man, you're talking about these, remember the, all these components that we're trying to narrow and right. then you're shooting groups that big. Yeah. And then the elk moves and it got that big. Yeah. Right. And, and that's just one of those things that it could have been like this and going to that mm-hmm. as opposed to that going to that. Yeah. Mm. And it's just the arrow. Nothing else really happened. And, and it, it wandered. It's like I have a, I have a 223 uh, break open rifle that I give to every new shooter. It's got a hammer and a scope and just one shot. And it's got 38 names written on the stock from people who killed their first animal that I've hunted with. I got me. It got will not answer. shoot a Barnes bullet. Yeah. And I want it to shoot a Barnes bullet yeah. because that Barnes 50, those 45 grains Barnes bullets will go through anything. Absolutely. Yeah. But it shoots groups like that yeah. with a Barnes bullet, right? And then I give it to a kid and they're shaking and the groups open up like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the soft points shoot groups like that. Right. And so right. they groups this. Yeah. I don't shoot the X bullet. I want it to shoot the X bullet. <laughs> so, but I'm giving up accuracy and I know the gun's not shooting great. It's shooting pretty good. There's just so many of these people out there, though, that aren't in a situation where they, number one, can go to an archery shop to try these different things. They live out in the middle of nowhere and don't have the opportunity to buy all the different shafts. And That's why I have the test kits on Sirius. Yeah, that's why we built the test kits. Yeah. I'm really concerned about people who don't either have a good shop or don't have a shop that's got a range. There's a lot of shops that just don't have a 20-yard range. They're just a shop, and that's fine. And, but I'm thinking about the highest percentage of people and quite honestly, probably in the bow hunting community, there's very few people who aren't tinkers and don't know which end of the wrench is the box end. They know how to swing a hammer. It's a little bit more, you know, blue collarish, at least in your mindset. There's certainly a lot of white collar people, but they're willing to tinker. There's a small percentage of people who just say, I just give me a bow, whatever. Okay. I can't do anything about those people. They don't give a damn about anything anyway, <laughs> but that's why we built the test kits. It's serious. With the two, you know, two different spines, 
all have the same inserts and then extra field points. And you can go in your backyard and do what you all did and just literally just pound away and see what flies. And then you can order those arrows. I mean, I'm a little self-serving here, but I think we're the only people ordering the opportunity to get multiple spines, multiple field point weights, and then have arrows right behind them. And it's a system I set up just thinking about, well, nobody offers that. I no, you're right. get that you're probably a thousand dollars on arrows trying to figure this yeah. out. Because most guys are going to go look at an arrow chart. They're going to look at what their poundage, what their draw length is on that arrow, what they should be ordering, like I did for years. And you know what? I would have been all right because <laughs> I use the same yeah, thing for years and years and years. Stuff, you'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> until some drug dealer gave me a carbon arrow and messed up my whole life, man. It was like yeah, right. a drug dealer, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and me. And that's how I started. I started it with the, uh, with the kit, uh, that, uh, Serious Archery has. And the, mm-hmm. their webpage is seriousarchery.com and, uh, it's S-I-R-I-U-S archery.com. And then, um, you know, it, 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 they, we, we've talked to them. Those guys are, are actually great. Uh, they've helped me a ton and they have, you know, they have given us a code to share, which is Elbros 10. Um, if you, if you want to go in there and, you know, buy shafts and stuff like that, you all the ranch fairy discount on those things. 10% discount, yes. correct. All the ranch fairy stuff doesn't account for, you know, you, you can't get the discount on all the ranch fairy stuff because this is all like serious. Troy's, yeah, yeah, serious, uh, with Troy and all his equipment and stuff like that. But that's the way I did it. I actually went there. And, um, and got the kit and then, you know, been, been calling them. I talked to a gentleman there called Seth and he's just been super with me. And yeah. He's the owner. Help. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to yeah. Seth today. He killed an alligator today. Uh-huh. His bow? Yeah. That's With cool, his bow. man. So he's a test driving a new 150 grain broadhead that we're bringing out and, um, it worked. And yeah, they bring it out and see that broadhead. It, one 150 grain three blades. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, Troy, is that for those people out there that don't have that engineer mind like Luis and aren't going to be doing all these sheets. I mean, you look at the paperwork this guy's done here, man. This, this is like a corporate presentation, dude. I mean, <laughs> he's hired. So uh because of that, is there a basic formula that hunters can use without having to be as granular as Luis, but wanting to put the time in to make sure that they have what they need out there. I've not really found it. Uh, just, it's so difficult. We just, we discussed the fact that the four of us can't shoot the same bow despite the same draw length and being able to handle the draw weight. Right. Would you it's say a, it's not just a really annoying though? deal. Bows suck. Let's just really put it out there. Yeah. Right. I can zero four. 300 magnums and mail them to you guys and y'all can go deer hunting. Yeah. I promise you, I can build y'all four guns, zero them two inches high to hundred right. and then you're good to three yeah. without mess shooting the gun. Right. And bow and arrows are super custom. Yes. Um, Each I just haven't found a way to do it. Everybody's shooting form. Every They're different. So, yeah. They're, They're so, different, Joe. And one of the things is they also that it's, it's kind of tough in the industry is the fact that, you know, I, I shared with you the charts that Sirius right. has in their page uh, as a reference to based on your poundage, based on your uh, arrow length, and based on your uh, um, uh, 
Yeah, there you go. So based on your bow speed, based on your draw weight, and based on your tip weight and your arrow length, you can kind of get a, a reference. And I say a reference because exactly. it gives you an idea of what kind of spine you should have. And this is for their arrows. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, not every manufacturer use the same carbon method or carbon type to come up with the mm-hmm. spine and the spine numbers may not mean the same. Even it, you may have two different shafts from two different manufacturers with the same spine and they may bend differently. Right. You know? yeah. So that's why it's so difficult. And that's why one of the reasons I signed with Sirius is because that Apollo shaft was so consistent. Oh. I had, I had five or six brands of shafts in the, in the garage. This is before I was sponsored back when I was just trying to figure all the stuff out and I was buying everything. And that Apollo shaft is one of the best behaving shafts. So, um, the higher grade stuff, the higher grade carbons, the higher priced, unfortunately, carbons are, are better and more consistent from end to end. And I have found that to be true buying every arrow on the planet when I was trying to figure this stuff and out. And they are super tough. <clears throat> like I, I shot through a pig. It it pinned him on a log behind him. The pig rolled over the shaft, ran away with the arrow in him. I found the broadhead stuck in the log with a parted insert. The insert parted halfway inside of the shaft. And when I recovered the shaft that was in the pig, the shaft did not break and the yeah. remaining of the insert was still glued inside of the shaft. So it parted the shaft, the insert inside the shaft mm-hmm. and the shaft did not part. Yeah. RC, yeah they're RC, pretty durable. They got that woven on exterior. They're, they're solid arrows. RC as, as I mean, you've shot traditional archery and listening to all this stuff, uh, are there questions or concerns that come to your mind with that? And Chav, you shooting the lighter setup, we'll come to you next. I think, uh, Troy hit it right on the head. If you, I mean, you asked the question, what does a person do? The first thing they do, and that's take your bow regardless of what it is and get you a bare shaft and see what that arrow does. I mean, it's going to tell you. Uh, he hit it right on oh, the head as far as not, it, it, I mean, the fletching and all that's gonna make some difference, but I mean, it's still gonna fly right if it's right. But would you say, Troy, starting with knock tuning is the number one start to getting on the right track? Yes. Right. So that's the thing, the knock tuning thing is, is interesting because if you bear shaft one arrow and you don't knock tune all of them, yeah. you're still gonna have inconsistent it's going to be damn close. It's going to be better right. than if you didn't bear shaft and try to figure out what lies with the right point. Yeah. Not that. Yeah. But if you don't bear shaft and Noctune bear shaft every one of them, and it sucks. I hate getting a dozen arrows down. Yeah. I can't go back. It takes so much time, yeah. man. It does. It, I look it, at them and go. a lot of shots. Uh, for, but, of course, my, my, my rest is. Away. So how much of a difference are we no. talking about? In, well, in we're talking about broadheads. Up. I'm sorry? We're talking about broadheads flying. Yeah. Okay. And we're talking about if you have kind of a off the shelf arrow, we're talking about groups that could, you could have, you know, remember back in the day when you didn't know anything and you weren't trying and you had a weird flyer. Right. What if, what if that's your shot at 30 yards? What if that's your flyer? What if you leave that in the batch and then you shoot at your elk and it's the flyer and it goes four inches left and the elk moves a little bit? 
when we're six inches off of intended point of aim because you got the flyer. Well, so that's, that's what's interesting. Was I the only person that used to shoot your arrows and then yeah, there you, you, go. Would, number you would number your number one arrow? Yeah. You're not the only one that did that. Yeah, I still do it. I still, still do that it. That is P. That's P for practice. Yeah, right. yeah. I've, got, I've got a few of those too, right. I got the P for practice. Yeah. And My arrows yeah. are all marked. This one is... Uh, yeah. Number five. I mean, you can, Luis marked them all. This is number five, right? So, so is that going to be your fifth arrow at an elk, or is that just number no, five this, for the this test? One is, all, this is those virgin. five arrows, those six arrows, they he can shoot any of those. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's just it's any just that when I gave him the document that shows each arrow and how much each one of the weighs, he knows which one exactly. is which. But but uh, all those arrows fly completely true. But to your point, Joe, I think what what Troy is saying is like, look, you know, once you go through the process and you kind of see it, it kind of, for me, it gets in my head. I want to, I want to spend the time on each arrow, right? To your point, you know, you got to at least do the due diligence. If you don't want to go through the process and you're going to be hunting with five arrows, you got to be shooting those five arrows consistently with their broadhead and see how they're flying and then pick your best arrows, that ones that you're comfortable with, and then know how they perform. But what you can't do, you're doing a disfavor to yourself, to the animal and everything, is just kind of buy them off the shelf, put them in your quiver, and go out there hunting. Oh, and no, you then, gotta, and you then, gotta get behind, you gotta get behind the string, man. You absolutely. gotta know what your equipment's doing. And for me, for, right. long, for me, right. for a long time, it was the spin test. You know, you set it on the floor and watch it spin. Man, if it's true, that's, that's, that's really good. Right? <laughs> if the next one wobbles a little bit, yeah. ah, when you move that one to the side, you know what I mean? I'll tell you, I'll I mean, tell you something about that. You can shoot a pretty wobbly broadhead on a perfect arrow and it'll fly. <laughs> I believe don't tell you, anybody, don't tell anybody that on public I, air. I believe you, man. Cause when I spin test this one here that Luis built me, it, it's got a little bit of a wobble to it because that air, that broadhead's been shot through two hogs, and it's got a little bit of a, a, a little lean to that. I've to messed, that. I've messed with it with glue on broadheads, and I'll just heat it up and spin it and kind of get it a little wonky. Yeah, back up to forty, and the shaft is right, and they go two. Yeah, and they shoot pretty good. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't do it hunting, but Chad, I, I just do stupid stuff like that all the time. Chad, so, what are you hunting with now, Troy? Broadhead wise. I'm shooting the tough head, the original tough head, the long tough head, gotcha. the one that mad, the one that's the most tough heads, original uh, legacy heads, the most ashy head on the planet. So it's three and a quarter inches long by uh inch and the 16th. And the head itself is 225, has a hundred grain adapter in it. And then I have a hundred grain insert. So I'm shooting 500 grains, 450 grains in the point. And 730 grains a night, uh, 24 and a half percent forward. Sorry, Joe, they are I'm trying to get to So there's no way you're ever going to shoot a field point because you ain't going to find one that <laughs> has that. No, I've got all the toys. Thing. I've got 500 grain field points. Yeah, actually the heaviest field point I have is 600 grains. I have 600 grain broadheads. Where do you find a 600 grain field point, man? Machine there's a couple shot. of manufacturers that make them and then, and then tough heads making a 400 grain broadhead that for dangerous game. Um, Rob Nielsen's putting them together right now for Hippo. He's making a 1100 grain arrow for Hippo. Wow. That's, the one you're like shooting, uh, Mr. Troy, the one you're shooting is at the Evolution Series. 
single bevels? No, um, I've shot a bunch of stuff with the Evolution, and I actually back that head. It's one of the, my sponsored heads, but I'm shooting the long one. You've got one that's similar to it there. I think was that the an A boy? Head? It is a So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Chav for a second because I Chav, you know, I know that you always have concerns with your shot because of your poundage and stuff when when you shoot. So do you have any questions or concerns about uh, uh, this? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious what uh, you would recommend uh, as far as the total arrow weight and uh, the weight of the uh, the tip weight. You know, I send uh, uh, Luis some information, see what he can do with it, because uh, I shoot about 55. I think everybody else here shoots like 110. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they all got hammers, you know. I got a I got a pea shooter. So uh, what would you recommend for I would still that having your 550 grain I'm still having that 550 grain range the advantage you're going to have <clears throat> is you're going to be able to shoot a lower spine arrow you're probably going to be able to shoot a 350 spine arrow which is super light mm-hmm. and your four to center is going to be outstanding yeah so you get to point at these guys and say your four to center is just 17 there I got 20 Mine's 25 so, yeah. <laughs> you can just kick them in the ball for that. right but I would have a very, very high quality. And the, the, I always start at the point. Very high quality. It's, pro, is he is he going to have any? Is he going to have any tail waggle with a crosswind on something no. like that? No, they actually fly. They follow the the shaft instead of doing this in the air. Just flies a little bit off, but it stays. They tend to plane into the wind. They tend to, because I have so a lot a little, a little planing when I do shoot. Right, so they tend to, they tend to, the nose tends to go into the wind and stay online better than a lower forward to center arrow tends, the tail tends to steer back like this yeah. and it tends to veer more. It's, well, a, it's be, basic model rocketry. They do this in model rockets to keep them from there, flying off too much. Uh, would, uh, will there be a, a big change in the, in the pin setting? Yeah. So the, 20 is 20, 30 is 30, and 40 is 40, and in between is five yards. There you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> still all the same. So, yeah, so what I told you, uh, make adjustments. Yeah, we have we have multiple ladies shooting. Well, like I said, Rhonda shoots 38 pounds at 25 inches, and she's killed six bull nail guy and had three and two pass throughs. Wow! And she killed oh. one at 40. That's serious. What I told Chav was, um, I said. Yeah, exactly that. I said 350, uh, spine. I think, I think he's shooting the, the 500 spine full metal jackets now. So I told him. Oh God. Yeah. So I I said, God help me. Yeah. So, so I told him, I said, look, if we, if we, Luis, here's what you should do. Here's what you should do for him. So his pin gaps don't change. I've done this with a lot of full metal jacket people who shoot the worst arrow on earth. Just build about the same weight, but put it all on the front. Yeah. So, so, so exactly. So what I, what I told him is that we could do is get a 350 spine, uh, the arrow, even that Apollo one is 8.8 grains, right? Mm-hmm. So it's actually lighter on the shaft. And then I told him yep. to say, we can even bring your, uh, uh, your tip weight to close to 200, just the yep. total tip weight. And then, so I told him 185 to be exact, but maybe we can bring it up higher. And then we can get his total uh, arrow weight to about 500 grain. And his spin gap should not change that much from what he's shooting. No, they won't change that much because your quarter center is going to go up. You're, I've done this with a lot of full metal jacket folks. And what I do is I take them to the next 
generally they come in one le- one level too low on spine. So a typical 70 pound shooter will have a 340. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I'll take them to a 300. So I add 100 grains in the front, and they're about 60 grains heavier total than they were with a full metal jacket. Yes, sir. But the arrows fly like a dart. Right. Yeah, that's where I'm at. So yeah, just shut those arrows. Luis, if you could get a 400 spine arrow to fly for him, ooh, talk about you. We're getting unicorny there. <laughs> that way, yeah, it's that way, way he'll get way more FOC. Right. And we just need to make sure we're managing the broadheads on the front with everybody. You got to be shooting good broadheads. So, <clears> so could, he still, could he still shoot a Magnus Stinger? Yeah, sure. Shoot the 150 with a 100 grand insert. Yeah. So if I'm hearing it right, uh, correct, uh, the arrow that uh, Louise proposes, there would be no change at all in the, the way my pins are set right now. There Pretty might be a little bit of a change. Same arrow, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. don't think you're going to have much change in pin gap. You, oh, okay. You're going to you're going to have to. Yeah, it's going to be about the same. You're going to have to go ahead and and, and set and test it again. But oh yeah, yeah for but, sure. Yeah. But you're pretty much shooting like yeah. It's simple yeah. though. It's a simple, easy mm-hmm. adjustment. Right. You know. You just chase your chase your arrow with your pin, or, or you just once you get used to the once you get used to the trajectory, it doesn't bother you anymore. It just becomes normal. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, man, no I mean, what, what do guys shoot recurves ever do, man? I mean, yeah. they, you know, it's well, like you never killed an animal with a recurve. Oh my gosh, man! So, you know, it's just it's just getting behind your equipment, knowing your equipment, you know, um, shooting it, man, knowing what it does. So, yeah, and that's the thing that that when I heard people. One of the cons I heard was people said, well, my trajectory with my pins, you know, if if I'm a little off, I could end up shooting way lower. And, you know, I was like, I, I thought of it this way, is that, number one, if your pin says 20 and you're shooting for 20, if your pin says 30 and you're shooting for 30, you should hit Correct. where you're at. If, Correct. If, if you are a poor judge of distance or you haven't used a range finder and you do shoot that, man, I like the idea of it dropping lower and completely missing the animal myself. You know, if I, I don't actually want to be low because no animal on earth jumps up. That's right. They all squat. And another thing that nobody does, I'm going to do a video on this. When we were younger, we used to just walk out there, know the distance, and then we'd take four steps back and try to figure it out. Yeah. That's right. I don't know why nobody practices that. I do it all. Yeah, that's all. Because the perspective, the the perspective is going to help you, um, uh, with the distance. It's like closing one eye and trying to touch something in front of you. You lose your perspective because you only have one eye. I'm talking about literally going to the 3D range, take a laser range finder, know that it's 27 and back up to 31 and just put it in your pocket and take four steps back and go, that's about right. Learn to shoot that way because. If you go to half full draw on an elk and you've lasered him and he takes four steps, you're not going to – most people aren't letting down. And you're lying you're if you say you would. Yeah. You're, you're a liar. <laughs> you're going to aim a little higher and send it. So you're an idiot if you don't agree. You know, yeah. I, you're right. I, 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 have, I drew my bow pretty quick, not this year, but last year. I drew my bow – the elk was actually walking into the lane that I needed him to walk into. I had yep. ranged that lane before Joe was calling the bull. The bull, I, I like followed the script. Okay. I knew he was between 50 and 60 yards somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And when he walked in, I felt like it was closer to 50. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just like, 
I know the furthest part of that was 60 on my laser. He's closer to me. So I felt like that was about 50, 56 yards. And I put my 50 yard pin right in the center of him and sent it. And I mean, it was case of Rossarab. That's something people should practice. You really should because that's very realistic. I feel most of the time it's not the pin that does it for me. It's that feeling that I'm in the right spot. You know, I mean, you can hear on the video this year when they said 53, poof, I mean, I cut it loose because I was already feeling like I was in the right spot, you know. Well, the funny uh, thing about pins, if you're shooting a multi-pin site, there's only five or six exact distances anyway. You're always gapping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know that this is brain surgery. It's you know, so, but you know, you know what, uh, you know what, Joe? Um, the first guy I ever heard talking about the V site was Mr. Troy. Right. Yeah. It's the best and, damn. That's a meat axe. The easy V is a meat axe. Yeah. 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 So, so I mean, I, I, you I like, it, you you like the, it, Mr. Troy? I, you like the easy V? Loves it. Five I, years and five years. I took the easy I, I took it to that. the range. I set 20, you know, shooting a bow that I'm not used to shooting, doing things with, you know, all this other crap that I'm not used to doing. And it gave me a chance just to let some of my instinctiveness be there. Mm-hmm. I went and yeah. shot five targets at unknown distances, and I shot a video of that. First time ever doing it after I set 20, and it was five kills on all of those animals. Yep. That easy yep. beat. So that, that is a step I'm yet to make, and I'm What's struggling crazy with that step. I took his bow. I'm, it's not even set up for me, and I was shooting arrows at 40 yards in the kill zone. I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool." You know, for it's what y'all do out west, that thing's that thing's magic because I agree. Um, it's just it, you don't have to worry about the variability. If they move, your brain's just going to make the adjustment. And you're going to shoot. I mean, yeah. I've been telling tons of people. The guy who makes that's from Montana. He's a he's an elk hunter. Sweet, Aaron. So and. He, uh it's One of wonderful. the things I like to do, Joe, if you don't mind, is like quick summary of the 12 factors. And, and, and I don't know if, if, if we got time for that. You know, I know um, that we're. Let, let's, let's, uh, we can. We're getting ready to close out here, but, uh, I want everybody to hear that. I'm going to show it. And, uh, and actually, you know, um, we can say what the 12 are, but I'd really, you know, <laughs> if you had to say, I don't know if you can do that, man, but. You know, I was going to say, because you said you wanted people to go two more, that a lot of people have certain things mm-hmm. going on, but you want them to go two yep. more. I, I, I want you to explain that. So I'm going to put those up so that we okay, can. I'll talk to them real quick. Let me go. Yep. All right. So step one is structural integrity. Nothing can fail at impact. Okay. It can't break. It can't bend. And the edge can't roll or dull. That's something that in structural integrity that's not discussed enough is you cannot have a broadhead that's dull and shredded shooting through an animal. It needs to retain its structural integrity. So no bends, no breaks, et cetera, et cetera. The second thing, we've talked a lot about this, and it scared the hell out of about half the crowd that's listening to this, the amount of effort it takes to get perfect arrow flight. Right. It is the enabler to penetration, the it's sideways a flying arrow wherever the tail of the arrow is going, it's going in one direction and the point's going another. If they are not in line at impact, the tail will go a different direction. So it's just going to kill your penetration. And the study for the center was the one thing that every percentage gained in FOC penetration increased a certain percentage. 
So we have ultra FOC, what I call a unicorn arrow, which is over 30%. That's really hard to build. EFOC is 19 to 30. And then 19, uh, below 19% is normal FOC, you know, is, is just, yeah, uh, is just normal four to center. Pretty easy to get there. Mechanical advantage is the angle of the incidence and number of blades. The less blades, the more advantage. So four blades are 50%, you know, more drag. They have less mechanical advantage. It also has to do with the angle of the blades coming in, like very, very uh, abrupt opening mechanical broadheads have 45-degree angles. They're literally slamming directly into the side of the animal vertically, and they have very poor mechanical advantage to penetrate. In fact, there's nothing out there that you swing at a rock or try to chop wood and stuff that looks like that. It's kind of crazy. The shaft diameter. So we're just, this is a very simple one. The, the shaft can't be bigger around the back of the broadhead. Right. It's, it's pretty straightforward. You would prefer it to be smaller. And which than is totally weird because I always felt like, holy Toledo, man, my shaft doesn't match up. It's kind of like, it's like I was wearing the wrong color shirt with my britches. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Right. <laughs> right. The micros are, when we figure out how to get the uh, outsert systems to work on micros and be more durable, they're going to be really good for this deal here. They, you put the big tough head eye shoot on a micro and it looks like a clown arrow. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the next thing is the arrow mass. So the more mass, the more momentum. It's that simple. Makes and, sense. Uh, arrows temperature penetration is directly proportional to the momentum. Kinetic energy is not a scalar nor directional force. It is a directional, is a force in all directions. But the arrow mass helps retain momentum and the momentum helps drive the arrow forward. A train versus a tennis ball, right? right. It's like that. Blade edge finish. So there's actually a 26% advantage here for stropped, sharpened, Razor sharp and the type of edge that actually when you shave your arm, the hairs jump off. Not just cut them off. They jump off. That's I, have, a very, I have spots all over my legs without right, hair. That's why you don't I want to hear that. That's why I use mostly just hair because <laughs> you'll shave yourself bald. Yeah. And, and it's a bad shaving job, so you look like you got the mange. <laughs> that's what I look like right now. <laughs> I had no hair right. anyway, so I'm in bad shape. <laughs> Shaft profile is probably the most difficult thing to get. So right. there's only a couple of people making tapered arrows. Yeah. yeah. So I, if there's a, if there's, a, for instance, my arrow that I'm hunting no guy with is an 11 factor arrow because I'm shooting a parallel shaft. All my arrows but are 11. If there's, if there's an arrow, if there's one to give up, that's one to give up. Right. Agree. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so broadhead silhouette. So that's actually, are there any bumps, bruises, angles, weird, you know, welds? How smooth is the actual broadhead itself? Is it going to hang on anything? That also has to go with the next one, which is the type of bevel. So the single bevel broadhead, which we didn't get to discuss, I'll have to come back and talk about that, actually has a torquing motion when it goes through tissues. The harder this stuff it hits, the more it torques, and it tends to split bone. It also tends to rotate the soft tissue and make a bigger wound in lungs and stuff than the actual. It's a drilling effect. Right. Uh, Every broadhead profile on the planet stops rotating at impact except for single bevel. 
I don't care how much spin you put on them with the helical, any other platform hits and stops rotating, which is also killing your penetration because that's energy going sideways. It's stopped going sideways. The tip design, uh, Tonto tip has a kind of a notched faceted front. And what it, is a Tonto tip? Black kiss right here. That's a Tonto. Um, let me show. Tonto tip is when your angle at the tip uh, changes, uh, Joe, like this. So you see how the angle is coming in a way, and then it just right. kind of tapers inwards. I see that. Yes. Uh, so it, it gives the blade a structural integrity. If it's too pointy at the moment of impact, the probabilities of it bending are bigger. But by making it at a shallower angle like this, it gives it structural integrity to where it that you know you prevent that from happening. Yeah, am I correct, Mr. Troy? Is that? Is that how you explain it? Correct. Sir? Yeah, it's like having a chisel. It's like having a chisel in front of your razor blades. So you've got this this hard working piece that's designed for impact, and then behind that's the razor sharp plate piece. So does a chisel tip broadhead work that way? Well, it's it's actually sharpened. Yeah. Okay. So it's a sharpened secondary edge that's much more. It's a little tiny spot that's more steep. It's more like a if you think about a drill the very tip of a drill bit or something looks like a chisel is designed for horrible impacts. Right. On soft tissue, it doesn't make a difference at all. Yeah. That's but a, this it is won't a chisel pull over tip. when it hits something hard. Okay. That's a chisel tip right there. So that's a right. tanto tip. Okay. This and this. And then the greatest debated one is the 650 grain heavy bone threshold. This is the only one that moves around. Okay. So in the, in, in the event you hit something hard, it moves to number four. If you hit a very, if you hit a heavy bone, if you hit a scapula or something like that, mm-hmm. 650 grain heavy bone threshold moves up to number four. It can't bend or break. It's got to fly perfect. You need some four to center. And then you need 650 or more grains to the highest percentage chance it will break an impact side bone. So it does move around. Awesome. Would you, you say don't get uh, heavy bone, it stays at twelve? Would you say, Mister uh, Troy, that uh, the the single bevel could also move around depending on hidden heavy bone? Uh, no, it'll stay about where it's at. I mean, it's going to be right about where it's at. It, now, the six hundred and fifty grain heavy bone threshold actually works pretty good with double bevel heads that are machined as well that are high structural integrity and tube blade. Yeah, I, but if they're I, optimized, they're optimized with a single bevel. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's exactly what happened to me. That on that hog I sent you the uh, the video of that I mm-hmm. shot big hog seven hundred and ten grain uh, <clears throat> broadhead and hit him right in the right on the spatula. And uh, oh, that shot, that quartering in shot on big hogs is devastating. It's one of my yeah. favorite shots. Yeah, the, that's the one that was at night and it went in a circle and came right back and just fell over and his feet went straight up in the, the air. That, that's that's the one. That's the one. The first one I <laughs> sent you, right? But then yeah. this this other one was the one that I shot that the arrow didn't fully go in. It probably penetrated this much, and I was uh-huh. mind blowing um, because it was a seven hundred and ten grain, but it wasn't a, a, a single bevel broadhead. Right, right. That's that's where that's where you start to have this equation. So the the more parts of the equation you pull back, right. you start to and see weird stuff. Now, are we gonna ever are we gonna have a hundred percent bone breaks with 
a perfectly 11 or 12 factor arrow, you will not. Right. Right. Because the arrow, the animals are moving. We yeah. will never beat that. Yeah. And well, them right. moving is a problem. And there's even other variables on bone density and different things that you're dealing with on different animals. Right. But I can promise you, if you go to six factors, your chances are not as great. It's right. just a giant equation. Like you yes. broke the offside humerus on a, on an elk, right? Yeah. Right. That's, that's going to happen occasionally. Yeah. But we're trying to reduce the variables and maximize their potential. Yeah, I did. That once again, the, I've said this, we've said it 15 times on the soft tissue the case, the thoracic cavity. You're fine. Yeah. You're, you're going to be okay. But unless your broadhead fails or it bends or structural integrity, you know, Troy, is compromised. I, I, mm-hmm. I think this has been an incredibly productive, incitive, uh, it, uh, this has been, just been fantastic. I think this is an incredible, well, thank you. um, a, amount of information for our listeners, for those people yep. out there that uh, are wondering what they need to be able to not, you know, not only to hunt elk, man, you know, like you said, this, this helps them with whatever their current journey is in their home state right now with, That's right. That's with right. the animals that they hunt as well. But I, I can That's tell right. you this, man, you, you develop a system that is going to, uh, punch through a 700 pound animal, then you have zero worries with that white tail, man. Uh, it's, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. It works. Yeah. It scales down better than it scales up, right? Yeah. Light yeah. arrows yeah, don't scale sure. up as fast as Ed said when he started shooting 900 grains with a long one, he got used to it. He just shot it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Bears, sheep, white tail deer. It didn't matter. I'm used to this, right? Yep. It's and funny. it's going to fly, man. Thank you well, so much, and, bud. And your recommendation. Course, yeah, thank the, you very much. Your recommendation <laughs> on the lighted dock is necessary because when you blow through a white tail like that, you need something shining so you could go find it. Cause I mean, it goes yeah, right. a long <laughs> way. You know, yeah. like you said, when you scale up or scale down, it's uh, definitely relative. I, the one last comment for the old guys and then we got to go. Sure. I got to go fishing tomorrow. You guys got to work or whatever, but, um, <laughs> I do not recommend lighted knocks for long range. Gotcha. They're not as accurate. They're okay. not. If you're going to shoot Good lighted knocks and you're going to shoot over 50, you need, or over 40, you need to practice with that exact setup. Broadhead, lighted knocks, everything. They are not the same knock as your stock knocks. Okay. And stupid little things like that can make that weird two inch weird one that just takes off a little bit. And then it goes from here to here and goes from here to here. When you go through the process and when you a bear shaft knock tune each one of your arrows with your lighted knocks shooting uh-huh. bullet holes through papers. Should you still worry about it at long distance? I'm like, I'm, when I'm going no guy hunting, I'm not shooting lighted knocks. I'm shooting, I'm shooting stock knocks. I'm that's a, that's serious stuff there. Screwing around with pigs around a deer feeder. Who cares? Yeah, They're right, right. there. Yeah. But I wouldn't and, compromise. And- I wouldn't compromise an elk hunt. For a lighted knock. And you say Unless long you, distance. You it. Listen, if you do it, if you bear shaft, knock tune with lighted knocks and then shoot them with fletchings, with broadheads to 70 yards and they do it, fine. Right. I am not recommending you just go, I'm going to shoot lighted knocks on this hunt and just right. stick them in there and go, okay. Right, right, right. 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 Gotcha. You're Makes asking sense. for this. Um, you've changed some stuff. Yeah. You've added 25 grains to the back of the damn arrow. It's not tested and you think I'll be fine. Yeah. And then you Tough. then. Arrow kind of veers off and you kind of half hit one in the limb. Oh, you, you're so adding weight. Boat over and broadhead's no good. And you're adding weight and you're adding it on the wrong side of the arrow as well. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But I'm talking about the inconsistency in the light yeah. of knocks themselves. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very All right, I gotta go. I gotta go fishing tomorrow. All right, man. I appreciate. Oh, thank it. you, Gilbert. Troy, close us out, buddy. Troy, fantastic you, information, sir. guys. Uh, fellas, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. You got to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, guys, this is the time of the year to get to our base camp and use the information. Well over a hundred years worth of knowledge that have been put up into that base camp on calling, shot placement, you name it. It's in there. Go to elkbros.com and get that base camp this year and you will be so much more advanced when you hit the woods in September. And if you, any of our listeners also would like their questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, and even those weird people in Austin, <laughs> husbands, kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Honey. Peace, peace, everybody. Peace. Here's the music. Our brother, Tony Wintrip, closing the show. Good night. Thank you. I get my goods. From the river and woods, I get my highs. Climbing a mountainside, I get my life on. I'm family strong. In the fall, I'm gonna get my elk on. At daylight, I'm sitting just right. About to let an arrow fly. I get my Drift on at the tail out. He's cranking on the tip. Boy, I'm about to rip some lead. I get my goods from the river and the woods. I get my highs climbing a mountainside. I get my boots on. I'm U.S. strong.
Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.